Oh my God, Bill Pope did Charlie's Angels. You know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is uh, canonically an angel in that film. <laughs> if I had a gun. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the failed Blockbusters summer podcast here on the Waffle Press. Is that a weird opening? Yes. Is that a weird title for this series? Yes. Or I guess miniseries. I'm your host, Diego Crespo. <laughs> With me today is my co-host for this miniseries, is Macaringo. That's me. And man, that intro failed almost as hard as today's film failed at the box office. You know what? I, I'm just trying to, I, I'm trying to keep the vibes similar, you know? I'm, ha- I'm coming in this episode with a lot of energy and uh, a lot of heart. We're going to see how it pans out when I release it, because uh, that's what they had to contest with the most. We're talking about Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Hey. You, all, you all know this film. If you're online, you know this film. I feel like it's and not, you, we don't even need to explain it. And you probably have strong opinions on it. <laughs> yeah, for better or worse. Um out of all the movies we talk about on this miniseries, this is this is the one that I think will do the best, like, metrics-wise, and I think mm. is probably the most well-received, like, on the, on the largest scale. Because this is totally a film that found its audience, like, after it was Like, immediately after. Yeah. Like, I, uh, what is your history with this? Did you see it in theaters? I did. Um, I did not read the, the, the comic, I still haven't read the comic, and apologies to Brian Lee O'Malley, who seems like a cool dude on Twitter. I, I saw it blind, I liked Michael Sarah. I had a crush on Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and I liked Edgar Wright films. Like, uh, he just did Hot Fuzz before this, and I discovered Hot Fuzz on, on DVD, and it, like, blew my mind. So I guess we saw it all for the exact same reasons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, basically. Too. I was on the Mary, Mary Elizabeth Winstead train back at, like, Sky High. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. What was the vill- What was her villain name in that? Uh, was it like Lord Pain or something? <laughs> Royal Pain. Oh, That's okay. That's what it was. This better not awaken anything in me. It, it, it sure fucking did to however <laughs> old I think maybe twelve year old Matt Gringo. <laughs> um, but and I saw her in fucking. I was a big fan of those Final Destination films. Oh, yeah, she's in the third one. Yeah, she's in the third one. So, like, if you want to know where I was at in the year 2005, I saw Sky High and Final Destination 3 in theaters. That was the type of kid I was. I was on board with this fucking movie for all the reasons you said. Like, on a whim, back when we had, like, fucking, like, like, Time Warner Cable On Demand, where, you like, you just go through, like, a weird on-demand thing, and it was, like, on a whim, we picked Shaun of the Dead. Because I had seen, like, one preview before of it before a movie I had rented. And, like, I didn't even remember the... Tra- I just remember, like, oh, Shaun of the Dead. It's, like, a British zombie comedy. It's, like, that seems funny. And, like, that fucking movie was, like... Like, I was, like, dying laughing watching it. It was, like... It was one of those, like, real, like, awakening movies in terms of, like, wow, that was, like, actually really good. <laughs> and it's gonna influence the type of movies I like for the rest of my life. And so, like, I was one of the people there, like, day one, Hot Fuzz, which, like, that Hot Fuzz is the moment when you're like, okay, it wasn't a fluke. Like, he made two great movies in a row. So I'm there for whatever he does. And then, like, it was that weird thing where, like, I was checking, 
like probably either his IMDb or his Wikipedia back in the day, like every few weeks being like, what is his next project? And it was that weird thing of like, his next project is this movie called Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? And <laughs> I eventually found out that it was a graphic novel series, which I immediately went out and bought like every volume that was available and read it. And I was like, I cannot wait. And it was like the first movie I remember where I, the first trailer came out. I was like, I am so fucking there for that movie. And I was also, like, keenly aware that, like, this movie is definitely going to bomb. Like, have you... I'm sure you've had that before. I have, but you know what? I didn't have that with Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Mm. I thought this movie was going to light the world on fire. Yeah. I I was very clearly wrong, and even in hindsight, I'm like, yeah, probably should have expected it to do worse. But I didn't expect it to be ten years from after watching it on my future podcast miniseries, <laughs> the failed blockbuster series. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you ever that movie where you're like, you d- like you have no idea what it is, but like the studio seems way overconfident about it. You know, mm-hmm. like the marketing is just, er- cause I remember Scott Pilgrim marketing was fucking everywhere. Like it was, I- I'd go to the mall for any movie that year. There was a giant Scott Pilgrim poster that had like all the X's on it. Um, they had they they were showing like any like award show that was like kind of like MTV Movie Awards adjacent. They would have like a special sneak peek at Scott Pilgrim. Um, they released an animation for uh, Adult Swim that was like a pre like the prequel to the movie <laughs> that was about Scott and Kim's relationship, which is taken directly from the graphic novel series. They had that video game that you couldn't get until like a year ago. <laughs> Which I had originally on an, on an Xbox 360. Same. Because I was fucking all in on this movie. And then my Xbox died and I lost it forever. <laughs> you know what? It still might be on mine. Because I, I did also get another Xbox 360. Because yeah. my first one crashed. Yeah, I think I'm now on an Xbox One. I went through like three Xboxes. <laughs> like, it's... Uh. But, uh... Yeah, it was just... It was fucking everywhere. And so... Like the, but like sometimes I see a movie where like Scott Pilgrim, I'm like, I want to see this. I know Edgar Wright. I'm all in on this movie. Uh, but like every other there's a movie where that all the trailers look really bad, but the studio seems really invested in it. And then there's like marketing everywhere. And I think that you remember Mordecai. <laughs> oh God! Do you remember how like aggressive that marketing campaign was? Yeah, everyone had a mustache, and you know what? This is going to tie back into Scott Pilgrim, too, so this is not a tangent. But that fucking mustache meme, you know? Yeah. To go back to our Tumblr discussions that we always seem to to wheel back into, you know, the I mustache you a question cups and stuff like that. (laughs) Very cute when you're a teenager. Very funny. Very, like, charming, whatever. It's like they someone found like got wind of that in the movie industry, mm. and they made a movie about it six years too late called Mordecai. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what happened. But it was also one of those things where I'm like, this looks terrible, but they're like promoting it so much. These people must know something I don't. Like I will like that's the only way a movie can sucker me in. <laughs> where if it's like all the trailers are bad, but it's an original property, and it's like. The marketing campaign's aggressive. Uh, I will show up. Like that's what gets me to see shit like like uh, Mortal Engines, <laughs> you know. 
Yeah. Like, that was a really aggressive marketing campaign, and then it, I liked that movie, but it just died. And much like Scott Pilgrim, I showed up to see it. It was the same weekend as The Expendables. I called everyone I knew, <laughs> tried to get them to go see Scott Pilgrim with me, and they weren't like, nah, that movie looks dumb. They were like, I've never heard of that movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I will not see it. But, hey, man, you want to go see Expendables? <laughs> and because of that, I saw Expendables and Scott Pilgrim on the same weekend, and I saw Scott Pilgrim in the smallest goddamn theater at my mall with a father with, like, two sons and then two other people. And that was it. And it was just, it was so disheartening. No. <laughs> it was just one of those, like, immediate, like, oh, this movie's gonna fucking bomb. And, like, I, to be, like, that invested with it, which, like, I don't get invested in movies in that way anymore. Um, You know, where you're, like, I'm following, like, the v- director's, like, video diaries, which I don't think anyone even does anymore. No, now they just, uh, like, tweets and Instagram posts. Yeah. And, like, I'm fine with that, you know? Well, now Whatever. everything is so controlled by the studios that, like, it's all, like, very specific stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's all about actors talking about how much fun they had on set. Well, you know, the script was so great, you know, it really reminded them of a... Because they've been a fan of it since childhood. That's what you hear a lot. All of what we just said, you will hear it in the next, like, five, like, big blockbuster production interviews. The movie's about hope, perseverance, girl power, and family. Like, those those seem to be the buzzwords, like, at least right now. And there's only one true franchise about family, but we're not here to talk about that one. Yeah, yeah, that's that's, because none of those failed, believe it or not. (laughs) <laughs> um, they got close though hey they did uh, yeah it was just like it was the most upsetting thing and then I don't know what it was but it was like the moment it left theaters which was very quick it was like immediately a cult classic like which I I, I can't think of any other movie that's had that quick of a trajectory <laughs> I would say something like Drive but that wasn't a bomb yeah, Drive that was wasn't like a, bomb. a hit for, that for was like, budget. That, that's more like a sleeper hit, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's one of those ones where it, I think I've brought up this comparison before, but like, there's there's that quote about the Velvet Underground, where it's like only X number of people bought the Velvet Underground's first record, but everyone that bought it started a band. Mm-hmm. Where it's like everyone that saw it, like only a few people saw Drive, but everyone that saw that became a film nerd. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> and I think. Something similar could be said about Scott Pilgrim. I think this is one of those movies that this is like your gateway drug into like a million other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and for it better became, or worse. Yeah, for better or worse. And it was a it was a very big hit within the Tumblr era. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that has definitely uh, affected the impression the movie leaves on people ten years on. <laughs> yeah. Movie, um, people hate this movie. People really do hate this movie. And I understand and also have very mixed feelings about that. But w- I guess, should we just both say how we feel about it ourselves first? Um, Yeah, you go first. Uh, I love this movie. I've seen it, like, easily a dozen times. I think it on some days I'm like, oh, this is Edgar Wright's best film. Um, it it's it's so good i i think it's fantastic and i think the problematic elements that people have with it are they're not wrong to have their issues with it i do think the film but you're saying you endorse them 
Yeah, oh, yeah, obviously. You're yeah, saying yeah, you yeah. endorse all these problematic elements. Oh, clearly. Um, but no, no, no. I, I really do mean, like, I understand, but I also think that the film is a little more introspective about them than maybe it gets credit for mm-hmm. uh, in some cases, and maybe not introspective enough. You know what? This is going to be weird and probably the wrong film to make this comparison for, considering Edgar Wright's history with this production company. Mm-hmm. But I feel similarly about this film as I do about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Mm. <laughs> Where it's like, no, 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 it, it, it is like a little more introspective with his character stuff. And also, not enough sometimes. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's a thing of like, which I think is just for James Gunn, a, a kind of regular problem where it's like, who he chooses to get deep with is can be an issue. Like, mm-hmm. why does that person afford it, like, depth and this person isn't, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's that's a whole other discussion, <laughs> which yeah, we shouldn't but, um, have. <laughs> um, no, but I, I think that same, like, uh, that same perspective is, is both uh, a positive and a negative with this film. But um, I think it's a great film. Yes. Um, I agree. Um, my only difference is I don't think it's Edgar Wright's best film. I think Hot Fuzz will kind of always have that place for me. It's so good, huh? Hot Fuzz is just terrific. <laughs> I'm glad uh, it's not. It wasn't a bomb, but if it was, that's right after this one. Yeah. Well, no, isn't uh, it's um, Hot Fuzz is what gets him Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he wouldn't have gotten it. And then how did like did did uh the World's End make money? Like I know it wasn't as big a hit. Um, but let me check really quick. I think I it made money. Because I remember watching that like opening. I saw both of these opening weekend. Um, yeah, Hot Fuzz made eighty and, million, and uh, World's End made forty six million on a twenty million dollar budget. So that's yeah. making money, but also like a less of a hit. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a that's we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, yeah, I think for me though with this movie, uh, there's there was definitely a moment in my life where I was like, I have seen this movie enough times. <laughs> Where, uh, and that's not even like a Christian, it's just like, whatever I could get out of it, I think I got out of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I sometimes drive very fast to that place. Um, <laughs> people who know me know how many times I've been rewatching Michael Mann's Miami Vice. <laughs> and I'm basically just gonna do that until I realize I've seen it enough times. And that's just, I get obsessive with certain movies. There was definitely time I was obsessive with this. Um, and I feel like that quote might have some baggage to it because I think one of the things that kind of hurts this movie is that when it became a cult classic there were a lot of people there's people that like when they latch on to media like this where they 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 go they look at Scott Pilgrim as a character like uncritically you know Mm -hmm. where they're like oh I see a lot of myself in Scott and then you're like that's not good (laughs) like (laughs) that's not great and uh I think that happened a little bit with the, the fan base that's cultivated, um, which maybe made me kind of like turn away from it for a little bit. Um, although I, I honestly wasn't aware that that many people disliked it until uh, recently. Um, although the other thing about it, I think that happens with, we saw this recently with, uh, did you see the Bo Burnham special? I haven't yet. Uh, uh, I will declare myself a big Bur- Bo Burnham fan though. Yeah. And I, I have definitely kept an eye on the, the discourse, as it were. I've only gotten glimpses of it, but I do think you could see a part of it where it was like, that thing dropped, and the first people that watched it were like, this is the greatest thing ever made by anyone ever. You know, like, we start getting those, like, 
like tweets that are like I cried for 45 minutes afterwards, you know, mm-hmm. where you like you, you start getting like these over the top responses to it. And people, and then like you have that person that like shaking, go like, you have to watch this. It's the greatest thing ever. And then you sit down and watch it and it never fucking is, you know, it's never the greatest thing ever. And I think that will affect people's perceptions of it. Cause when you sit down to watch something and people are like, this will change your life. And then it doesn't, <laughs> it's going to, I've pretty much had that with, uh, this will probably get me, uh, all my opinions just er- ignored, but I've kind of had that with, uh, Terrence Malick a little bit. <laughs> You know, where people kind of hype up Tree of Life to me. All right. Well, this is a great podcast, Matt. Where can people find you? (laughs) No, I like Tree of Life. I want to stress it. I think it's a great movie, but it wasn't like this transcendent experience for me. You just you just keep saying things. You don't have to do that. But look, no, no, I, not, I get what you're saying. Not every I fucking movie, understand. even great ones, are supposed to be transcendent. You know? No, no I and yeah, I, I'm poking fun. Scott yeah. Pilgrim is going to be a transcendent movie for a very specific type of person, both good and bad. Very specific type of person is going to find this movie as like their eye opening. Another person is going to watch this, and they're going to be like, "I liked it, but like didn't love it." You know? Mm-hmm. Which I also think is an entirely valid response. <laughs> I think any response to this is pretty much valid. Um, although I did find a few that we'll bring up. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? You, you, do you know what I'm getting at? I do. I mean, like, you know, we've had our discussions about Dark Knight, Fight Club. Mm-hmm. Um, people have this discussion about Goodfellas all the time on, on Twitter and, and yeah. just fucking film circles in general. Like, if 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 a certain group of people like a certain group of films, they're, they're like connotations to that. They're like asterisks to that. Like, yeah, it, it, it tends to imply something maybe unpleasant. And, you know, at a certain point you can't really judge people on the media and art that they consume. Yeah. That's just, that's not how like human beings work. Um, but I, I get what you're saying. And I, I, I don't, I don't know how much of like, like, is that, like, a relatively new, like, I guess, read on stuff like Scott Pilgrim? Or is uh, it just, like, more, like, more commonly, like, we're, we're more aware of it now that, like, oh, if you like this, then that means you endorse this. Or you like this, and that means that you, you're cool with maybe, like, misogyny or something like that. I, get, I don't know. I, I think part of it is also the weird, like... I think it's it's this movie... I think a big part of it is this movie is so tied into nerd culture. But not just that. Edgar Wright is, like, a big part of the first wave of nerd culture, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, he's the guy who, like, did it before it goes mainstream. And so, when you look back, you're like, there's the fucking bastard <laughs> responsible. Because, <laughs> like, you know, Spaced is, like, the thing, you know, the TV show, is, like, you watch it now and it's like, oh, this is where community got all its ideas from. <laughs> like, you know, it, and I'm yeah. not even, not even like trying to be mean to community, but like, it, but that's like 1999, you know, no one was doing that in 1999. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like there was maybe one other asshole who we, we should maybe avoid talking about who was doing it. But oh, who's uh, that? Uh, Joss Whedon. <laughs> oh yeah. Everyone's favorite. Yeah. Sorry. I just woke up out of a coma from the last 15 years. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Hey, um, yeah, there was, like, Spaced, and then Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz are both, like, you don't get it, man. 
it's like it's a zombie film, but it's like secretly a rom com, you know? Mm-hmm. Or like Hot Fuzz, you're like you don't understand. It's a Michael Bay movie, but it's like a satire of it, right? Which is like the beginnings of like nerd culture and film nerd culture that exists mm-hmm. now. Like this is this is like the seeds of it, and you can see the beginning. And I think that's what makes, like, if you're watching Scott Pilgrim now, I think you'd maybe be like, what the fuck is the big deal with it? Also, I will say that once this movie became a cult classic, uh, there were people who uh, maybe threw around homophobic insults at me in my high school who seemed to love this movie. (laughs) Hmm. And it's like, hmm. And you start getting critical of, like, if that person can feel comfortable liking this film, there must be something wrong with it. You know, I've had that yeah. attitude before. Um, mm-hmm. I try to go on like a million tangents at once, but that's kind of what we do on the show. Yeah, yeah. If you don't, if you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, I one, I, I'm sorry that happened. No, no, it, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that happened to you in high school. No, who gives a shit? You, it's high school. Well, like, yeah, yeah, but I mean, like, you know, all those people, and, like, all I, those I, people are, uh, are fucking just living in Syracuse, a deadbeat town. <laughs> they went nowhere. I don't like Well, you know, them. like, I, I went to, like, an all-guys high school, and we were it's... very comfortable with certain things that I wouldn't dare repeat in public now Yeah, that I understand better, significantly better, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, it does make you think a little bit, like, fuck, why, why were we so comfortable yeah. with that? And a lot of that does have to do with... You know, cultural backgrounds, family, who we surround ourselves with, and the media we consume in a big way. And, you know, to go back to, like, Community, you know, a show that I revisited last year and fell in love with all over again, with asterisks, (laughs) with major (laughs) asterisks, Um, (laughs) like, uh, there there is some very questionable stuff here. Like, you know, a big point of discussion with the Scott Pilgrim character is, like, oh, he's dating a high schooler? That's a hell of a start. For a movie. Oh yeah, boy, is it! That um, feels like you know. I'm not trying to be like cancel culture's out of control, like, but you could not have a character start that way today in a movie, you know? Yeah, and I, you know what? I'm not even saying that that's a bad thing. Yeah, I'm not I, even I, saying that either. <laughs> I'm just saying that like this is a movie that is so firmly in 2010. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the popularity of this movie and, like, the unquestioned success of it is entirely lives and dies with Tumblr and its cultural relevance, you know? I, th- I think so, too. But I, I bring up the, the, the age gap difference there because, again, like I was saying, oh, I love community. You know, after the first will-they-won't-they they relationship in that show, the show pivots into a different will-they-won't-they. They. Mm-hmm. And there's a very distinct age gap between those two actors and uh, and those characters specifically, and it gets a little odd. And the show isn't always very critical of it. In yeah. fact, I think it leans into it a little too much. As much as I as I could praise the best aspects of that show, mm-hmm. I, I am I, I came away being like, hmm, this might explain a lot about a certain creator who has been <laughs> uh, rightfully dragged through the coals in regards to their own mm-hmm. uh, re- relationships and work and life. Yeah. Uh, and I personally, I, I, I don't think Scott Pilgrim has that much of a problem here. I feel like the film and its characters are generally very critical of it, for the most part. Yeah. Always for the most part here. <laughs> and I think Edgar Wright, as a filmmaker, does have some blind spots. 
um, which I think have been brought up a few times. And that's why Baby Driver is the worst film ever made. All right. <laughs> no, <laughs> we're no. just getting there already. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, no. Well, I was just I was fucking so exhausted when the fucking Last Night in Soho trailer dropped, and you know I watched it. And I'm like, looks like an Edgar Wright horror film. You know, mm-hmm. like I will see it, whatever. And like the discussion on Twitter immediately devolved into everyone rehashing Baby Driver. And I'm just like, I don't know, man. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think there's so much pressure on people to be like all or nothing with movies these days. And not only that, but to let people know. And that's that's probably very hypocritical of me to like bring up since we're doing a podcast that no one listens to. <laughs> <laughs> where we just pontificate forever. And by we, I mean I. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know. Like... I just, I, I just don't understand film Twitter sometimes. I think Where, everyone's I think, too online sometimes. That's really I, what it comes down to. I think it's that, but I don't understand the weird thing of, like, who we choose to, like, be like, no, what they're doing, even though it's problematic, is cool, and what they're doing, even though it's problematic, is bad. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Where... I, I don't know why I don't want to say any names because that'll just start a thing but there are like you know you, you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. like there are directors who make movies that I like but have elements to them that are bad that people will excuse in the name of like whatever they're making original movies they're making trash autourism just whatever the fuck that like people use excuse there are other directors who will do the exact same things. But those directors can never get around those problems. Like, Film Twitter will never let those mistakes go away. And I just don't understand why we pick and choose those things. Um, I also think maybe part of it is that Edgar Wright is on Twitter a lot, and I'm sure he's had his whole ass out a few times. I don't know what he <laughs> tweets. Um, but, you know, I think that hurts, that barrier can affect things. You know what I think it is? I, I think a lot of it comes from, like, an almost, like, counterculture, like, irony poisoned. Not to conflate counterculture and irony poisoning. Mm. But, like, I, I think those do have some overlap on film Twitter, you know, where it's like, oh, this is, like, this is, like, the, the, the figure that we have to topple, almost, or something yeah. like that. Like, they're, they're, they're so open and, and public and popular that the, the, the way they got there, that, that must be, like, wrong you know like if you had the same approach to like edgar wright as you would like maybe shit talking like disney productions or something like that like mm-hmm. I, I think those are two very different ballparks and yeah I think not, that's... not even to say people shouldn't be mean to edgar wright i don't fucking know edgar wright he's he's very successful and a, i'm, I'm rich, sure very happy white... on his mountain of money yeah he's a rich whatever white, do whatever filmmaker <laughs> who and i just assume at this point that all my british faves are like secretly transphobic until yeah, they prove that I'm like they're not petrified. Like, yeah, like I just I just have to wait. Um so yeah, like I, I don't know Edgar Wright's but it just feels like I just don't understand where it's like you I think it's that I don't know. Like everyone's trying to guess a guy's psychology from their films. And maybe it's just like we're all everyone's trying to do the Woody Allen thing where like Woody Allen gave us so many red flags in his movies. <laughs> and everyone's like, Hey, what's that about? 
and people were like, ah, it's just a movie, and then it turned out Woody Allen was a monster. I think we're trying to do that with some filmmakers, you know, mm-hmm. where we're like, what is the secret that this person's hiding, and how can I figure out that secret from watching their movies? And as you know, the only people that you can psychologically read through their films nowadays is J.J. Abrams. Yes. <laughs> That is not a joke. <laughs> I think we had this discussion last time. Probably. Um, yeah, I, you know, I just, I don't understand. And I will say, and this is probably the part that I'm going to be the real asshole about, but uh, the ones that, sometimes that choice, there, there seems to be a weird uh, vibe of hating women attached to it. Oh, okay. Either hating movies made by women Women do not get the excuses that male directors get in terms of, like, trash autorism or, like, you don't understand they're playing 40 chess with everyone's mind that we give to, like, male directors. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That doesn't happen. We're far, we're far more willing to bring up the problematic elements face first in movies directed by women than by men. But even then, movies that are predominantly liked by women we seem to throw those under the bus as well. And uh, guess what movie a lot of young women like? Paul Schrader's First Reformed. Exactly. Um, <laughs> no, but I thought you were going to say The Canyons. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I, I can't be the only one noticing this. Yeah, yeah. Like, I just, I, like, the fucking, like, just everyone's, like, guns out, like, knives out, just anytime a woman does it, you know? It's just, it's mm-hmm. weird to me. I'm just getting a weird vibe. <laughs> um, also, non-white directors occasionally. Um, that seems to be the other thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a little bit of that with going through other people's Fast and Furious reviews, which was very strange <laughs> mm. to me. Because I'm like, how do we all not agree that Fast Five is great? And then I was like, oh, this person only gave negative reviews to the Justin Lin Fast and Furious films. See, that that person, whoever they are, they're now my enemy. <laughs> yeah, but like, there's He's something... so clearly the best director. R.I.P. John Singleton, and uh, congrats to James Wan on getting that Aquaman sequel going. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You can tell that person saw the name Justin Lin in the trailer and turned on the fucking movie. <laughs> And I get that vibe occasionally from certain corners of film Twitter and Letterboxd especially. Uh, and that is not to say Scott Pilgrim gets off. I will get to, like, problems I have with Scott Pilgrim later. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just think that it's a little weird that this is the one <laughs> that we went after. Some people went after. Yeah, I think most I, people I, are just kind of indifferent about it these days. I don't know. I, I still see... A pretty big fan base for this movie, even, like, uh, offline now. Like, mm. I have, like, relatives that I see, like, once every Christmas or something, you know? And, they'll, and like, if we talk about movies, Scott Pilgrim might come up or something like that. I think, but I think there was a window where it's, like, you had to see it between the years 2010 to 2015. Like, if you didn't see it in that window, you're not a fan of it. Mm-hmm. I think after that, like, our culture shifted too much, and then everyone was like, you know what, actually, fuck Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, to the to the film's credit, like, whether or not it's always wholly successful at that, like, introspection, Scott Pilgrim is, like, 
he's the protagonist, but he's not like a, a great guy yeah. at the outset. And I, the film and the characters do like the, the conflict is him reconciling with that and overcoming yeah. that. It's you it's know. not subtle about it either. <laughs> yeah, like, we have characters literally telling Scott he's awful. Yeah, um, but I do think that's a thing where I think from that Tumblr era a little bit where like people would share their favorite movie and be like, "It me," you know, like that's me and my friends. And then you're like, "That's not good." <laughs> but <laughs> that was a big part of Tumblr era, you know. Mm-hmm. And then there's that thing of like if you criticize Scott Pilgrim. There would be like those people that show up, like you don't understand how much this movie means to me, and to insult this film is insulting me. Uh, which and it's is, like, who who are you? Yeah, <laughs> it's, like, it sorry. is weird though that this film at like 2010, a decade ago, it was like this was actually like kind of radical in terms of its mainstream LGBT representation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, when you it's... watch it now, and you're like, I don't know how much of this holds up, and it's like. Mm-hmm. But, like, then it was, like, a movie where it's, like, I do think everyone that watched this movie, and I think a lot of bisexual awakenings happened at this movie, <laughs> but uh, you watch it now, and you're, like, wow, this we were fucking desperate. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, things have gotten better, and also not, really. Yeah. <laughs> like, could still be doing a lot better, frankly. And we're recording in, like, the middle of Pride Month, and there's been a discussion on Twitter recently about, uh, I guess Netflix has a new show. I, like, I'm getting the periphery of discourse these days, which I prefer, <laughs> but, like, I see some, like, interesting takes, but I don't know what anyone's talking about. <laughs> and uh, there's some show, I guess, that's premiering, an animated show on Netflix that has, like, was, like, very upfront, and it's, like, it's full of gay characters, right? Mm-hmm. And there were some people kind of, there was a bit of a backlash to it, because people are, like, corporations are just kind of doing the the like put gay characters in it and then you know they turn around they go and invest in what they give money to like republicans you know Mm -hmm. um and there's then this whole thing of like i think uh in the i think in the trump era especially we've all kind of woken up to the uh representation in media lie that a lot of us believed especially people in the tumblr era Mm-hmm. Where it was like, get women on screen, get gay people on screen, get people of color on screen, get like all these different groups. And like, that's where we should going. And really what it ended up doing was like, just kind of taking, like, like s- taking imagery from different marginalized groups and then sanding off all the radical edges of it. And then kind of repackaging to us in a safe way. <laughs> well, I mean, like, I haven't seen the film, but a lot of the criticism about the Disney adaptation of a readaptation, reimagining of Cruella DeVille, for example. Mm. A lot of the criticism was that it took the punk rock movement of the 70s and kind of like was repackaged by a corporate entity to sell IP back to us. Yeah. Again, I haven't seen it, but that was something that caught my attention. And it's like, yeah, that does happen like a lot. Yeah. With everything now. <laughs> yeah. I think that people, people used to call that hot topicking. Yeah. Hot Topic is, like, fake punk, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, I will say, like, when I say those things, when I say Hot Topic, when I say Tumblr, those words are also, like, kind of shorthand for, like, hating young women, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, Tumblr, people perceive it as that's a site that a bunch of young women used, and then Hot Topic is perceived like, oh, that's where, like, tweens go and buy clothing where they, they feel punk for the first time. <laughs> and it's like, women aren't allowed to explore those sites. Meanwhile, men are never pressured to grow up. (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, like, might be, again, something that this film is is actually pretty, like, 
strong yeah. at exploring, and I, also maybe the wrong people kind of attach themselves to it. Yeah, I will say I think the thing this movie gets right is that like there there's not really pressure on Scott to like improve himself. He kind of mm. has to make those decisions himself, which I think is maybe a very like cis white male issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is an issue. It is something where like. I don't think people sometimes understand like how little pressure there is on white men to like not improve themselves. <laughs> you you only start getting that pressure when you start going like I might be gay or I might be non-binary. <laughs> like that's when that pressure starts to come in a little more in terms of like your day-to-day life. But or if you express any liberal opinion, I think that's also a part of it. Um, but yeah I think this movie gets that right that Scott kind of has to like he has to do this himself Um, which maybe people didn't take away from I actually don't I think I remember watching this the first time and not really understanding why uh, he has to get the power of self-respect as opposed to the power of love at the end (laughs) but like I watch it now and it like I get it you know yeah, and, and, I mean, talk about, like, Radical, like, that's pretty uncommon yeah. for movies even now. Like, no, 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 it's not just enough to care about other people. Like, mm-hmm. y- you have to take care of yourself, too. Mm-hmm. That That's a big deal. And, you know, because this film is ultimately, like, it's a romantic comedy through, like, a fantasy lens, basically, right? Mm-hmm. With, like, all these weird, like, nerd iconography yeah. things tossed in the middle. That's the other thing, I think, that gets people to hate it, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, especially, like, now, it's, like, fucking... We yeah. were just coming off, like, Ready Player One a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, the antithetical Scott Pilgrim, <laughs> in when a way. When did the worm turn? When did... When did... I really from. think like, we always talk about how Trump like fucked this up. Yeah. Like he just revealed everything wrong with the world. He's like Pandora's box, yeah. you know, <laughs> he's a Pandora's box of America and culture. And I think right, right around there, that's where like we start really looking at everything differently. And we're like, Oh, everything's broken. Like the, the, this, the world, this is wrong. We're doing it wrong. And mm-hmm. I, I think uh, that's when, People started turning on Scott Pilgrim. I'm sure there were people before pointing yeah, stuff out. Yeah, yeah. Just always... like people, there've always been people pointing stuff out that's wrong with the world, but now it's like, it just it, it's impossible to ignore, and nor should it be ignored. I think what we could know? say right now, I think both of us could say this comfortably, that you and I were both a little early on nerd culture going mainstream, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're both a little early. That's why we were there for Scott Pilgrim opening day. Yeah, we were also a little late on nerd culture is actually very bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think both of us are guilty of that. Um, so, you know, there's always, there's ebb and flow. Yeah, there's, yeah. There's, I just remember, when did Pat Oswalt, I should look that up. Pat Oswalt wrote that article that was like, wake up geek culture, time to die. Whoa. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know that one. Well, because the thing is, oh shit, he wrote it in 2010, so the year this movie came out. And, which is basically kind of like, Geek culture is going mainstream, which means everything is ruined. Like that's that's literally like the opening line. <laughs> <laughs> and I I remember when that came out. There was at the time where it was like, man, there's nothing cool. Of, like there's nothing wrong with being mainstream, which like I kind of get on some level. But I think we can we didn't understand that like 
the tie mainstream has to like corporate America, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing a lot of us have woken up on. That it's not about oh Scott Pilgrim became very popular with its because of its iconography. It's that corporations latched onto that iconography. <laughs> yeah. And are now selling the movie back to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's a reason why this movie... I mean, when this movie hit Blu-ray, even after it bombed, it was like a pretty stacked Blu-ray in terms of, like, special features because I think they knew that audience was out there. And it's getting, like, 10th anniversary things, which, like, there are movies out there not getting that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think there'll be a movie we're discussing uh, later in this series that totally deserved a 10th anniversary thing and got nothing. <laughs> yeah. So That'll be a fun surprise. I'm, yeah, no no yeah. teases beyond that. Oh, we might have already done it because we're doing these out of order. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay, wait, to, oops. You have to replace my voice with a robot voice in all the episodes. <laughs> oh, no, that's right, that's right. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, so far we're talking about everything around Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's almost like an hour... Of that so far, we should talk about the movie. Yes. I just want to list down the cast really quick on this then. Again, if you know, if you've seen the movie, you know, if you're on the internet, you know, but I think it's worth mentioning that this movie stars Michael Sarah, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Kieran Culkin for the succession heads out there, uh, Chris Evans, you, you know, Anna Kendrick, <laughs> Brie Larson, Allison Pill, Aubrey Plaza, Brandon Routh, Jason Schwartzman, Johnny Simmons, Mark Webber, Mae Whitman, and Ellen Wong. And also, Bill Hader is the voice of the voiceover. Yeah. There's a lot of interesting I didn't know that. weird cameos. <laughs> I didn't know that. Until just I'm now? Like, <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Like, before we recorded this, I, you know, some... Mm-hmm. some re- I do a little bit of research on these. I don't know. And, <laughs> yeah, no, no. And I was like, oh, my God. How did I never know this? Mm-hmm. So, that was fun. I think another thing that really helped this movie is that everything everyone in it became famous afterwards yep you know the only person that this is like peak for is michael Sarah. yeah like michael Sarah makes it more interesting films i think michael Sarah's always like kind of hung around like the film periphery but this is like the last moment where people are like michael Sarah is a leading man <laughs> and i think there's also this you know we're talking about like nerd culture and like what like what hits with audiences what people are interested in michael Sarah is like essentially an action hero in this role yeah um, people were like, what? That's not believable. And people were like, like well, fuck you. Like, it was not, like, <laughs> people were angry at the film. And I, I want to say that, like, you know, we've evolved past that. Like, well, you know, it's a fantasy. It's, it's, it's a movie. It's expressing something differently than how we perceive it in reality. People still don't really get <laughs> that. <laughs> so yeah. I don't, I think culture has maybe gotten less interesting in America, at least, yeah. at least in Hollywood. Well, um, I'm looking at... I'm looking at Michael Sarah's filmography, and he has Superbad and Juno in the same year. Um, that's fucking fantastic. Yeah, and that's when it's like, <laughs> all right, him and Jonah Hill are the next people. Like they're they're it. They they're they're the guys. And then next year he does Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, which I've actually never seen. I've heard it's good. I remember liking it, uh, but again, it's been yeah, a while. Early two thousands comedies tend to not eight romantic comedies especially. He was co-lead with Jack Black in year one. Remember that? I do. Ugh. Which I think is Harold Ramis' last film. That's so sad. Man. Um, Youth in Revolt. Do you remember that one? I remember the trailers for it. I don't think I ever saw it. And that was one of those movies where, like, the trailers 
were aggressively bad. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. They made you like fucking never want to watch another movie ever again. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, is that the one where, what's his name? Zach Galifianakis is in it. And the hangover like hit like the year before. And so he's really? literally credited in the trailers as the guy from The Hangover. Oh, no. I remember that. Like, that was a thing they did for a little bit. Where, like, they the guy from... The, the fat guy in Borat was credited as the fat guy in Borat in other movies. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, and that was the thing that made you, like, I am not seeing this. And that's another movie where Michael Sarah plays, like, a, a twerp who develops like an alter ego that's like a badass right mm-hmm. and i think people were just like fuck no um it's also based on a book which i never read I, I i remember i saw that movie once i remember not liking it um and then the next year scott pilgrim and then it's like over <laughs> well hey to be fair he's in this is the end as himself which yep. i think is like one of the better american comedies of that last decade mm-hmm. uh sausage party which you know uh, Lego Batman movie. As oh, he Dick was terrific. Grayson. He was terrific in that. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. he's always hung around. He pops up in interesting things. Well, what what we were talking about initially, the weird kind of backlash that was going on to uh, Michael Sarah at the time, mm-hmm. and to the point where if you look at the theatrical release poster of Scott Pilgrim, it's it, they're hiding his face. <laughs> like that's very that's that's. Studios do not make that choice on accident. <laughs> yeah. You know? And it doesn't even say Michael Sarah anywhere on the poster. Hmm. And uh, an epic of epic epicness is definitely something a marketing team came up with. But, you know, again, for the Tumblr era, that's a very yeah. Tumblr there phrase. There is, like, I, was, I will say, revisiting it, like, the... I, w- I was thrown off a little bit by, like, if anyone released a movie with this kind of dialogue today, they would be shot. Like, initially, I, I eventually won me back over, <laughs> mm-hmm. but like you couldn't do it today. Not in a like you know it's problematic, and just that like people would get annoyed. <laughs> yeah. Um, people seem to be more aware of that. Although people still fucking suck Aaron Sorkin's dick, so I don't know. Like, it it depends. I think it depends on like what the material is and like what the filmmaker surrounds the stuff with. And I guess because Scott Pilgrim's very, like, nerd culture friendly. Yeah. That that might be what turns people off, too. I think there's also, like, an earnestness to Scott Pilgrim that someone like, uh, what's-his-fuck from the West Wing? <laughs> you just said his name. And Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> Aaron Sorkin. Um, that Aaron Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin is, like, there to make you feel smarter. <laughs> and this movie is supposed to give you kind of, like, hanging out with your friends after school energy, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, you gotta be in high school, you probably have to be a theater kid. <laughs> I mean, that's a that's a group that's really gonna like it. Mm-hmm. And then you talk like this, and you think you're really fucking funny. And, and you're the... You're not. <laughs> <laughs> you just kind of come off as obnoxious. Yeah, you know, because you're just... You're, you're trying things out, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's something wrong with it if you do that well beyond the point of social acceptance but Mm -hmm. um, that's the problem with the internet is that like everyone from age 12 to age like 65 has a prominent presence on it you know yeah like you're gonna get a lot of weird culture clashing going on (laughs) 
And that's why, like, I even try not to, like, dunk on people on Twitter unless they're, like, a big, yeah. like, social media presence. Because it's, like, if you're going to dunk on someone who has, like, a really bad take, but then you go to their profile and they have, like, 14 followers, they're very clearly, like, a child or something. Yes. You know, like, just don't bother. It's, like, it's a little kid. Yeah, as long as you're not there's no, there's no point to that. To tweet the thing they tweeted, like, mm. maybe back off a little bit. But, yeah, I, I just, you know... I don't know. I think it's, again, I think it's that weird thing of, like, hating young women, hating young people. I also think that's why it's, like, TikTok has already become a word that's, like, oh, they're a TikTok teen. You gotta fucking watch out. And it's, like, I'm pretty sure there's, like, a diverse culture going on on TikTok. Yeah, I mean, just recently, as um, Megan Thee Stallion, who I'm actually, uh, uh, I don't know if you're a fan, but I've been I don't following know her music. Works. Okay, well, she's very talented. I'm, I'm a fan. And, um... You know, like specifically, like, like black TikTok, they they will come. Oh up yeah, with that's like the other angle. dances and stuff like that. And they've ref- basically, I, I don't think there was like a meeting or anything, but like people haven't been putting stuff out to her song because white people keep hijacking it, and then they're the ones that get promotion from it and make money from it. Yeah, and so they're like, you know, fuck that. We'll just do our own thing, and you know that that's. I think that's kind of awesome, but it is unfortunate that. That even has to be a concern, you know? Well, there is that discussion of, like, a lot of meme culture. Vine, which is, like, the forerunner to TikTok. Mm-hmm. Like, there is definitely, like, a huge, like, black presence on there that kind of helps foster that culture. And then, like, rock and roll, white people come in and steal it. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's sad. And I don't know how you stop that, but that's probably not for me to say. <laughs> yeah. As a white idiot I'll, myself. I mean... All, all we can really say right now is like, fuck white people. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know really what movie's it. pretty white though? Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Oh, it is incredibly white. It's not totally white, but it's pretty white. It it it's let's see, like let me take a look at the cast again. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I'm fans of all these people. Aubrey Plaza uh, is white passing, mm-hmm. and the only person with not white skin or white passive skin is, is Ellen Wong. And, yeah, and, uh, and uh, Matthew Patel, the actor playing Matthew, uh, Satya Baba, yes. Who, who is a, a new girl, new girl hive. He has mm. a role in season two as is he, Shebrong. Is he, uh, was he big on that show? He, ha- he has an arc in I, that show. I, as I was going to say, we talked about how everyone from this kind of became famous. Guess which two actors didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And fucking Ellen Wong, especially, like she is terrific in this. Oh, she she's like, great. Uh, she's, I, I think, I, part well, of the reason why, like, you don't just burn Scott Pilgrim in effigy, like, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like, I uh, I also just want to shout out really quick to um, Satya Baba's uh, recurring role on Sense Eight. Oh, okay. Oh for yeah. The, for the Wachowski yeah. heads. Yeah. yeah um, but Ellen Wong is terrific. And what has she done recently? She was on Glow a little while okay. back, which got canceled. Yeah, but uh, I know that one's got a huge fan base. Yes. People were very vocally upset at that being canceled. I watched the first season, and then I just didn't keep up with it because I'm bad. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. She's she's terrific in this. She should have had a bigger career. Um, still chance. She's only in her 30s. Um, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Hollywood's terrible to women and people of color. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. As much as it pretends it isn't. Unless you get, like, unless you become the most famous person of your gender sexuality and or race you're not gonna make it in hollywood which mm-hmm. is awful Ugh. 
And she's so good in this. I don't know why. That, that that's like the one that like really bugs me. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, we were talking a little bit before we started recording. I didn't rewatch it recently for this discussion because I have I'm, I'm just comfortable having seen it so many times, mm-hmm. and I've I've quite frankly just been a little bit busier than usual. Um, but I did, however, watch the uh, the tenth anniversary um, live streaming reading from the cast and crew. And, like, the only people that weren't there were, like, Mark Webber. Or, oh, no, no, excuse me. Mark Webber was there. Uh, Young Neil wasn't there. But everyone else was. And Ellen Wong, as Knives Chow, still just, like, it, it was like flipping a switch. It, it was like she, she was, like, clipping out scenes from the movie and streaming them instead of giving a performance. Oh, wow. It, it was really impressive. Yeah. Uh, I think Entertainment Weekly set it up. I'll put a link down below on the YouTubes for, for people that are curious. But it's, it's tons of fun. It was to raise money for uh, uh, during the pandemic. Yeah. And it was also she, like, she's so good. It was also like what happened when the 10th anniversary stuff kind of like hit a brick wall a little bit mm-hmm. because of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I, I didn't get a chance to see because I was not vaccinated when it was in theaters. So mm. that's a little disappointing. Yeah. But uh, who knows? Maybe that's not a crowd I'd really want to be with. <laughs> you know, you know, sometimes when the thing you love gets like embraced by a crowd and then you're like, oh, I had that with I saw that Blazing Saddles was playing mm. in theaters. And I'm like, oh, man, I love Blazing Saddles. I'm not sure I want to go see that with people who will go see that in theaters. <laughs> I'd risk it just because I think that's. That, that's such a fucking great film. Yeah. I think <laughs> it would at least be quiet, like, when they're supposed to. The other was, uh, I saw that Monty Python and the Holy Grail was playing. Mm. And I'm like, do I, like, what are the chances people show up and are, like, quoting along with the movie? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I fucking saw Jaws in theaters once, and the fucking guy behind me, like, quoted along with, like, half the movie. Oh my god. I fucking wanted to, like, kill everyone and then myself. It was just, like, <laughs> awful <laughs> i watched uh fast five in theaters that was that's one of the few movies i've seen in theaters since getting vaccinated um it's still a perfect film of course but the crowd i was with it, they were just in it enough to get so we were all like communally excited during the action and like the comedy stuff and quiet enough when it was a dramatic moment mm-hmm. you know nobody laughed at the I remember everything about my father line <laughs> which was nice i was the only one who was extremely online at that Showing, yeah. I guess. Hey, you know, that's great. Because um, I saw Fast Five in theaters. And uh, three guys sat behind me and my family and friends. And they just started talking. Oh, no. <laughs> and they just never stopped. No! We, thankfully, we saw that movie, like, in its, like, third week. So the theater wasn't that full. So, like, we just moved. Mm-hmm. But it was one of those, like, where we were, like, actively turning around and being like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and they just didn't stop. It was, I've never seen that, you know, where you're telling them to stop and they just don't. Yeah. But, fuck. Oh, that, this you don't have to worry to about an... that at Scott Pilgrim, though. <laughs> oh, well, this brings me to another point, because geek culture, you know, like, ain't it cool news, badass digest. Mm-hmm. There's a certain community, you know, um, that is that maybe guided online discussions for a little too long. Yeah. Um... And I, I would say Scott Pilgrim, I, I think it's very popular in those circles as well, which is unfortunate. And I bring this up because the theater I saw Fast Five at 
was at the L.A. Alamo Draft House, ah. which I argue is still a great theater, and maybe uh, people should also be more keenly aware of the problematic elements behind the scenes of those. Um, hey, what are you gonna do? Yeah, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Of course, but are they all? Get, isn't it like getting? Are the Alamo Draft Houses like getting massively restructured right now? Like, do they, I don't like, know what's like, happening anymore. Yeah. Quite frankly, because the other one was the fucking Cine family, which like had that scandal, and then it just fucking shut down. Like they didn't even hand it off to anyone, mm-hmm. which was kind of like depressing. Yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's the thing. Well, isn't there that video? If you watch the Hot Fuzz DVD and you watch the special features a million times, like maybe some of us did, um, they 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 like documented their whole tour, and you have like video of them getting like introduced. By Kevin Smith, you know, who was like, who was like that guy at that. He was like the first one to be that guy, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, uh, what's his name? Harry Knowles um, was also one of the people like introducing Hot Fuzz. And there's like a joke scene of like Edgar Wright like paying him off to give the movie good reviews. Oh, yeah. And it's like that was funny then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, you're right. I mean, there was. I think that's something that's maybe, like, helped fracture nerd culture a little bit. Um, in For both good and bad, because there's unfortunately, like, the very bad side of it that is just, like, getting a constant content, like, shoved in their face about how everything they love is being destroyed by women and people of color. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but, like, there used to just be those, like, three websites that you had to get popular on to be, like, a cult figure, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, like Devin Farachi's still around, man. You know? Yeah, like, but no one listens to him. And he's still, like, bullying people online. It's like, you're not in a position, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you of all fucking people. There are, there are a lot of people like that. I just think that they their power is slipping. Unfortunately, it seems like corporations are picking up the slack in the power. Mm-hmm. Um, which is... Uh, they're basically just cutting out the middlemen. <laughs> But yeah. uh, it's still depressing to see. Um, but yeah, that's probably part of the reason why Scott Pilgrim was like an immediate cult classic. Because you basically had people being like... And I remember... And it was like a weird... Uh, I, I remember participating in this kind of attitude where it was like... The real nerds saw Scott Pilgrim opening weekend, but the fake nerds saw The Expendables. Which is just like cashing in on like their names, but doesn't actually do anything... To respect nerd culture. <laughs> Which, hey. <laughs> that was an attitude at the time. Yeah, I, oh, I'm, I'm very familiar with that attitude. Do you remember um, when people called, like, Big Bang Theory, like, nerd blackface? Yep, I remember that. that was like a, and it was, like, a thing that people just said. <laughs> like, yeah. It wasn't immediately shot down. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, you know, fuck Big Bang Theory, but that's not... <laughs> that might that might be crossing a line. Yeah. And I think that was just a part of it, too, where, like, the refusal to admit that geek culture was, A, going mainstream, and B, leaving us behind, as it always does. Like, you mm-hmm. just, you grow up, you know? Yeah, yeah. And we're the generation raised on kids' rule. <laughs> like, <laughs> we didn't want to let go of our childhoods. Also, the world was generally terrible, and still is, which is a big part of it. Yeah. Um, None of this has anything to do with the first scene of Scott Pilgrim. 
No, we will not be breaking this down scene by scene because, quite frankly, that we we just, we just don't have. I, I'm not doing another three-hour episode, but we will talk about highlights, of course. Yeah. That we have to do, and I want to shout out uh, cinematographer Bill Pope, who uh, who's been getting more play on this podcast recently, just mm-hmm. from us talking about how good he is at his job. He inexplicably <laughs> came up on our Wild Wild West episode. Yeah, because he's the fucking best. Um, <laughs> well, and he, he does Men killer work 3. here. Um, which was your excuse for liking that movie? <laughs> no, no, I, I, I think, I think that movie has its heart in the right place. Whenever that's Diego as, as defends much... an objectively bad movie, he falls back on the cinematographer. It's the coward's move. I never time. said that. <laughs> this is the I, I fucking can read you like a fucking book. It's, <laughs> it's what you do. Not once did I say the cinematography was like impressive in Men in Black Three. No, but you go, you go like, hey man, Bill Pope innocent. <laughs> You know what? In that movie, he might be a little culpable. It looks kind of cheap, but whatever. Yeah, you know, we all got to cash a paycheck. Yeah, whatever. He needs a new fucking boat. Oh, and like, then he did The World's End right after that. Yeah. Like, what a step up. Yeah, he did the Jungle Book movie. Oh, yeah. Which, Which doesn't really count, but... Yeah, but you know, like... You, no, you I mean, you know what? No, I don't want to be one of those guys that's like, oh, it's all CG. Because, like, there, there is still, like, a, a, an aspect of cinematography that you have to, like work with lighting and space and like how you're replicating lenses and all that jazz. Like that's helped, all, uh, that's all completely valid. He helped pioneer this, the new digital filmmaking that John Favreau is inexplicably the face of. Well, John Favreau, he's the, he's got the part of George Lucas. Who's like creatively interested in like pushing tech yeah. and stuff like that. That's what you go to John Favreau for. Yeah. But like, here's the thing when, when it was like, when it was George Lucas, when it was James Cameron, you watch their earlier films, and then you're like, I could see how... I could, like, draw a line from A to B, you know? Mm-hmm. You're like, the dude who made Swingers? <laughs> <laughs> He's the one pushing technology? <laughs> yeah, I guess. He started the fucking most profitable franchise in Hollywood history? <laughs> it's just a little odd. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, Bill Pope did the lead of Battle Angel, which we both uh, stand by. Yeah, another kind of bomb. Um, yeah, well, mm, I, I don't know. I think if the pandemic hadn't happened, there would be much more movement on whether or not we'd officially get a sequel or not. I think if Avatar Two is a hit, we might get it. Fucking it, it will be then. I think, we'll get it. I think that's what it's going to be because they got to keep James Cameron happy, but only if he's making them money. <laughs> All right, Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim. Uh, <clears throat> Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim. Uh, where the fuck do we even begin? Not so long ago, in the mysterious land of Toronto, Canada, there was a movie. Good night, folks. Hey, how'd you feel about the? Oh, you didn't watch it. Um, did you remember the eight-bit uh, Universal logo at the start? Yes, I, I, I love that. that. That's another thing where I feel like today you would be like, fuck you. (laughs) No, you know what? I think think people want that now. I think people want, like, that experience. Like, oh, this is going to be something different. And uh, fun fact, they reused it while they began the script read for the 10th anniversary stream. Hey, good for them. Yeah. But I was... they they cut. I just want to like say like it was it's so cool if you check it out because they like they intercut with like some storyboards. Brian Lee O'Malley's in the corner doing like some drawings to like a 
to auction off or charity. Oh, that's what and, you need. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, with the music that's, like, kind of interlaced with uh, their presentation, it's tons of fun. I, I, I really recommend checking it out. But I, I do like that Universal intro a lot. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm just imagining, like, the version of this movie that we made today. Or, like, the movie that's just going to take everything this movie did right. Because I don't think anyone's really tapped into the Scott Pilgrim, like, video game vibe that it has. Mm-hmm. Like, there's pixels. Yeah. Like, I guess pixels was the attempt. And, kind uh, of. You know what gets, like, close? Like, in a completely different way. Apart from the video game stuff, but, like, in taking, like, source material or, like, inspiration and uh, creating something new with it is, like, the Lego movies. Like, how everything in those movies is Lego. Yeah. You know? Like, that's... One, that's just, like, adorable. But two, it, like, it looks, like, really exciting when you're watching it unfold. Even though, like, it's all, like, it's just CG replication of, like, the real thing. It, it's yeah, but what what cool. I'm talking about more is just, like, to be, like, to couch yourself in, like, this video game aesthetic, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that's, like, if we're talking about the nerd thing it's leading into, it's it's video games. Like, that's the main thing. Okay. There's some music you know stuff. What? There's fuck that, fuck that Sonic movie. That that movie should have had more of this. It, it should have like yeah yeah. It should have played with that format. I don't know why I finally broke down and watched that movie. It was not worth it. No, but, I don't even hate it. But like yeah, I, it was a, but it was like a nothing movie. You know? Like, no, it's like fine. Yeah. And um, but I'm, yeah, I'm just, I would like to see more things play with that. I just think I like I, like I said I'm, I when I watch this I imagine the. Uh, I imagine, like, the Marvel version of this, you know? They sand off all the edges. Like, I brought that up earlier. Mm-hmm. Where I was watching this movie, and I was so caught up in it where... Like, A, I was, like, really watching the editing this time. The editing in this is incredible. And just, like, they would never do that. Like, the editing is weird. You, no Hollywood blockbuster would do this kind of editing today. It, it's all like all their all their fighting is like master shots, you know. The movie puts a lot of effort into making sure, like, not like real. It's not realism, but like that there's a gravity to what we're seeing, you know. Mm-hmm. Like there's always light sources for everything, especially when it gets funky. There's like always like there's just so much shit that Scott crashes into <laughs> <laughs> that like is physically there. But it's not, like, gritty real, you know? There is no attempt to make any of this seem real, right? Yeah. Like, we're, we're not supposed to watch this and go, Scott is really fighting these people. Like, it's, we, we understand we're watching, it's almost like Raising Arizona, like, we're watching a cartoon. <laughs> watching a live-action cartoon. <laughs> Sorry. It's just, I, I never thought that there would be a comparison drawn. I, I think Edgar Wright has cited uh, Raising Arizona as, like, a big... Really? Which he, yeah, and I think you can see it in a lot of his films. The Marvel version of this would, like, put an effort to have all this all this imagery, you know? Like, the pixelated stuff. But also make it seem like it's really there. Like, they would, they would add, like, a grit to it that audiences would probably find more palatable, but it would, like, destroy the beauty of it. Yeah. Like, when there's a scene when Brandon Routh and Scott are going to have, like, the rock off, and he comes, like, floating in, you know? Mm-hmm. You watch that, and no matter who you are, you're like, they're f- he's flying in on wires. Like, they aren't even trying to hide that, <laughs> you know? Like, he's coming in, he's floating in on wires, but, like, they put the effort to have the light on him in the right way, the, like, the stuff coming off the, uh, the uh, fucking guitar, 
And then, like, you can see, like, the air that he's supposed to be, like, pushing all the debris away as he comes in. And it gives it, like, this weird, like, heightenedness to it that I think studios would be afraid to do. I'm, so, I'm shocked Universal, like, didn't fight this movie, and instead we're, like, we're all in on this. I think it was the thing, didn't it, like, premiere at uh, Comic-Con? And, like, yeah, it got, premiered like, at Comic-Con, and it was a huge hit there, and yeah. everyone was like, oh, we got this in the fucking bag. And there's, like, any movie that's ever premiered huge at Comic-Con, like, bombs. Mm-hmm. Like, there, I can't... I, I think they, they just stopped doing it because of that. Like, I think the last movie that did that was, like... The secret Blair Witch sequel. Oh yeah, which also got and a good reception out of Comic Con. It did because it was it was uh, you know people were like promoting it as like oh come see this this new movie The Woods. Yeah. And then you know that that would be exciting. That was exciting because I I bailed for that and I, I went to a, a party with a mutual friend of ours, Sean. Mm, oh. <laughs> fucking Sean, fucking things up from the distance. Um, no, because I ended up hating that fucking movie when I yeah, saw it. Yeah, yeah, so. I saved you. Yeah. But, uh, um, yeah. yeah, but then everyone was like, oh, it's, it's the fucking Blair Witch sequel. And I was like, but was it good? It was so surprising. And I was like, oh, Blair shit. Blair Witch is back. <laughs> you know? And you, I'd probably be like that, too, because that would be fucking exciting to see. But yeah. that's not, like, what I go to the movies for. <laughs> that was one of those movies where, like, it needed to be a perfect film to be good. Like, yeah, and not just, just an attempt at a remake yeah, of a perfect film. So... Yeah, I don't think I think there's like maybe one film where the Comic Con thing like worked, but I can't think of it. Uh, the other was remember like Mallrats like premiered at Comic Con like back in the day. No, because um, I was never a Kevin Smith uh, movie uh, guy, so I don't I don't know that much history about his actual like movie stuff apart from like Clerks and Clerks Two. That's <laughs> the story with with Mallrats is that it premiered huge at Comic Con, and then it like did fucking nothing. <laughs> outside of it because I mean that's Kevin Smith's about two de- this movie is a little early Mallrats is about two decades too early <laughs> so and like now it's like you watch Mallrats and you're like Jesus Christ I don't know like that was just the thing I was watching and I'm just waiting for the movie that like takes this style and just fucks it up you know and I, I it's gonna be a Marvel thing like it's just whatever Marvel TV show they can be like oh it's also a video game um, yeah Scott Pilgrim he's dating a high schooler yeah, that's a bad thing. Um, although, like, I had to check because I, like, because it said Canada, I decided to look up uh, age of consent in Canada, and I guess it's sixteen in Canada. Doesn't really make it okay. <laughs> Justin Trudeau, what the fuck, dude? Yeah, um, you know, and I think Canada is like those weird laws where it's like people below the age of twenty-one, like the age of consent, like is even wider. As long as everyone involved is under the age of 21. But once you cross 21, like, it's 16. Hmm. But, like, I didn't want to look too into it. I didn't want that information rattling around in my brain. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to be the guy who knows age of consent laws. Yeah, next thing you know, you're in a Michael Bay film. Hey! <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, uh, we should, yeah, we should talk about Scott dating a high schooler a little bit. Um, which is immediately, like, his friends are, like, I mean, at least one friend is not happy about it. Well, because, like, his guy friends are, like, all very, like, bro-y, like, yeah, man, I'm like, oh, this is cool, man. Yeah, like, they're clearly not the brightest bulbs, you know? Yeah. Um, and Allison Pill is Kim Pine, who, Allison Pill also, I, I feel like she should have a bigger career. Yeah. And she definitely has a bigger one than, um, than Ellen Wong and Satya Baba, but... 
it is still like yeah i think those those three stand out as she not pops up in the big. strangest goddamn things Remember her in Snowpiercer? Yeah, like in that she, one scene, she just fucking kills it. And I always think because that is uh, uh, Bong Joon Ho's first like American film, I always like wonder like did he handpick this cast? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and then what movies did he see? And uh, what's his name is also in it, Chris Evans. Yeah. So I'm like, is 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 Bong Joon Ho a secret Scott Pilgrim fan? <laughs> oh, he might be. You know, hey, he he might be. He he cited some stuff that that. I'm always like caught off guard by. Yeah, um, she was also remember she pops up in Hail Caesar for one scene. No, and I not, don't. And not I like, like a funny movie. scene either. <laughs> like I, I don't remember that one. She's Josh Brolin's wife, which is a little weird. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but I think it's supposed to be a little weird. So yeah, yeah, and you know, like to, to again to bring back Scott Pilgrim, like the weirdness of the situation is like rightfully called yeah. upon. But even Kim is like. Oh no! I want to meet this girl now because she knows it's gonna be like bizarre and awkward. Yeah. Oh, she's on Picard right now. Um, oh. I saw the first her. episode. Good. She wasn't right. in it. Hey, what are you gonna do? Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, and she was on the newsroom. I forgot that. I uh, didn't forget that. Uh, oh, and she was in Vice. Yeah, she was uh the one Cheney daughter. Oh yeah, your favorite film of the last hey, decade. I'm 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 the defender. I'm the the de- Vice defender has logged on. <laughs> Specifically, the movie Vice, not the the website. <laughs> Let's make that clear. Well, why does someone in their twenties date a high schooler? In the real world, it's because they're a fucking creep. <laughs> yes, but but like why? There is there's yeah, there's you know. There, there's like super creeps with it, but then there's like more subtle creeps. They're still creeps, but like they don't even realize they're creeps. I think some creeps know they're creeps. Mm-hmm. Well, and like I, for Scott's character in the film, I, I think it's really relative to like his own insecurities and like unwillingness to like to literally grow up. That's yeah. why the film is like surrounded by video game bullshit. But also like his own uh, rough history with like dating and relationships. As we will discover, um, his, some failings are uh, also of his own doing. Yeah. You know? And as the film goes on, it it gets much better at, like, helping us understand how this kid could make these awful decisions. That, and I think there's an uncomplicatedness to dating someone who is easily impressed by your shitty band. <laughs> you know? He went from Envy, who, like, kind of, like, was around as they were making the band, you know, and your friend, mm. the person like that is just going to be supportive no matter what. And then you just, Im- with that support gone, you just immediately want it again. And you're going to go for an easy, you know, I think that's the thing that like some creeps are attracted to and like younger, like it's that thing of like, Oh, they're not as versed in the world as you. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking, I think it was on a, like Bojack where Mr. Peanut Butter kept dating like young women because it was like, you know, they were all like easily impressed. <laughs> and then like he, he starts to put together by the end of the show that, oh, he's the common denominator between all his relationship problems. Um, yeah. Well, you know, and, nice chow, but but she can geek. She has the capacity to geek out first yeah. band. That's a line, I, again, I feel like I feel like some weedenisms, you know? 
like it's it's just there. It's, it's, it's there. It's there. And I just I, I'm like saying where it's like if you hate this movie, I I can kind of understand, especially now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a big a telling moment is like when he does the whole Puck Man speech, you mm-hmm. know, where he explains, and she like finds that super interesting, and it's like yeah, you know. You can. It's easy to impress someone who's seventeen <laughs> with that sort of information, especially if they think you're a hot guy, who like they're gonna think everything comes out of your mouth. And then when he tries that later on Ramona, it just like crashes and burns so hard, <laughs> and it's very, uh, it's very telling. No, but you you were talking about like the editing and this, and I'm gonna go geek out about like the mix of like cinematography and production design because so much of it. With that video game, like, iconography and, like, the continue and the, the question marks and stuff like that and the timer countdowns. And it is it is so much fun. Like, we're talking about, like, the very serious character, complicated dynamics of the film. But it's also just, like, a really fun watch if you, if you get into it. Where mm-hmm. it's, like, how it pairs the relationships on screen with, like... The video game, yeah, iconography and stuff like that. It it's it, it keeps it like lively, and it's it's a it's a film that really has fun with the various mediums, and it still feels kind of like revelatory in a way, yeah, in, in terms of like direction with all that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like so so many films now, we we we've been very vocal in our complaints about how we're like, why did you shoot it that way? <laughs> like why? Like to me, this is like magical realism. Yeah. You know what I mean? I could see that, yeah. Yeah. Or maybe not, maybe that's not, not magicalism. What the fuck am I saying? <laughs> I, I'm saying, like, uh, th- this is, like, a, a heightened, like, fantasy. Um, that uh, It feels like it's a, at least expressing, like, some truthful emotion on yeah. screen. I understand why I'm seeing what I'm seeing. Yeah, there's an emotional logic to it as opposed to, like, a logical logic, I guess. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to say what film... But there's a there's a certain scene where these two characters are professing their love for each other, and they start dancing on the side of a building, and it's been like two weeks since I've seen the film, and I still don't know why why that what what that means, and not in like a ponderous manner. I'm just curious about like why did you do that? Because their love defies gravity. <sighs> Thanks, Wicked. <laughs> Did they do that in Wicked too? Wicked has a whole song called "Defying Gravity." <laughs> oh, okay. I see. I missed the boat on Wicked, so I don't yeah. know. When I'm depressed, I listen to the Wicked soundtrack and cry. <laughs> oh, okay. No, that was like I think that was more high school me, but I don't know. It's been a while. <laughs> that's not something. Is that's not a healthy thing to do? <laughs> no. no, no, no. Um, but, <laughs> Speaking of not healthy things to do. Yeah, everything Scott does, the whole movie. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Yeah. Um, he immediately, like, he, he... I think that's the other thing, is that Ramona gets lumped into, like, the manic pixie dream girl thing. You know? Mm-hmm. Which was a thing people used to say. Yeah, and now that feels like even that discourse has kind of, like, faded away. Yeah. And, um, you know, that that is end up getting kind of hijacked by, like, just straight up, like, misogynist whenever, like, a woman does yeah. anything. I like, think oh, I sent you. Dream girl. I sent you right before recording it. Like some dude has uploaded a video on YouTube. Could be satire, but if I can't tell if it's satire, like that's <laughs> not great. That's literally just titled something like "How Scott Pilgrim Ruined a Generation of Women." Yeah, that's that's awful. Which is um, like, remove it from Scott Pilgrim. Like you should never have that thought. Like 
mm-hmm. generation of women, quote unquote, ruined. Like that's disgusting. <laughs> yeah, that's like getting mad at like Gen Z for being on TikTok. Yeah, <laughs> you know it doesn't. Like, who gives a fuck? Like, mm-hmm. you're you have deeper problems than your interpretation of like a film. If that's what you're like spouting, that kind of bullshit. Yeah. You know? Mary Elizabeth Winstead's very attractive. Yes. <laughs> I can't. I'm sorry. No, it's it, she. She's gorgeous. She's fantastic. Yeah. In in everything she's in. Yeah. Um, bad shout out to Live Free or Die Hard. Oh yeah. She, oh yeah. Yeah, she's very good in fuck. that. Fuck. Um, uh, she does end up being the damsel in distress though at the end. Yeah. I mean, that's what are you gonna do? Yeah. Um. Oh, she was in the other Black Christmas remake. I remember that one uh, being okay. I never saw it. I, I, I like I like both the Black Christmas remakes from okay. what I remember. So. Hey, there you go. She's a, the more important thing. She was Huntress in, in Bird of Prey, and she yeah. was fantastic. Yes. Um, which we're the truthers, it. apparently. On yeah. That film. I don't know. People people just suck. Um, I don't understand the world <laughs> in Diego. I don't know. I don't think we're supposed to. I think we're just we're supposed not. to reject it. Yeah. We've got to build our own world. <laughs> Oh, oh. That's the uh, beginning I, I, of any supervillain speech. What am I doing? <laughs> I want to say that um, uh, Scott meets Ramona because she's an uh, Amazon delivery girl. Yeah. And so this is Amazon propaganda. Oh, yeah, yeah. Movie's terrible now. Yeah. It is a little frightening when you watch any movie now that has the internet in it from like a decade ago. It's like, you don't know what's coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like you just want to like no, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Like even Iron Man has like I don't want to see this on your MySpace page, and it's like oh MySpace isn't even like a thing anymore. Yeah, that's always the weird one is all the MySpace references. Mm-hmm. And it's like man, that has no cultural significance. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, fucking. Uh, uh you mentioned that uh, Ramona Flowers kind of gets tossed in with uh that old misogynistic critique about manic pixie dream girls and you know maybe like at first i could kind of understand well she literally appears in his dreams yeah it almost feels like a fucking like you know like a riff on that type of character yeah because she ends up having more agency like there's always the argument that she could have more you know and we'll we'll get to the ending and i'm sure we'll we'll heavily discuss that the way that plays out because there's like variations of that, and I, I believe in the in the graphic novel is different, right? The ending. Oh um, yes, we will get to that. For the film titled Scott Pilgrim versus the World, I I find that Ramona tends to be a pretty three dimensional character. Yeah. Well, I think it's also one of those movies where it's like Scott Pilgrim should pick up that Ramona's got more going on to her, and he doesn't mm-hmm. seem to do that. <laughs> yeah, maybe this is one of those situations where like because the char- the the protagonist character is saying and believing certain things. Yeah. That that means audiences latch onto that versus, like, the actual film presenting certain mm-hmm. things, you know? I mean, it's one of those things where, like, she's very standoffish. She's very, like, she doesn't want to talk about her past. You know, she wants to avoid things, which are, like, you know, not crimes, but they're also, like, they raise some flags sometimes mm-hmm. when you're talking to someone. Also, like, she's immediately into you, Scott, which is, like, odd. Although he does <laughs> kind of have to, like, pressure her into... Uh, like, he's like, I won't sign for the Amazon package unless we can hang out. <laughs> and, you know, 
Um, it seems like like the moment when like they they almost sleep together, and then the last minute she's like, "I've changed my mind." Like that feels like she's going through her own journey, and like that was her moment where she's like, "I'm gonna do this one a little differently," mm-hmm. you know. But you don't, you maybe don't realize that until you're rewatching it. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what people. This is one of those movies where like I definitely watched it differently in 2010 than I watched it even just like a few years later, like out of high school. It was like, oh, this is a different movie than I originally thought. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, mean, it, 2010 feels like a fucking different world yeah. now. <laughs> well, if again, to talk about, like, Scott's inability to pick up on anything about Ramona, like, he literally gets an email <laughs> regarding her and just deletes it because he's, like, bored. Yeah. Like, he's not This a... is... Boring. Boring. It's also just a very funny film. Yeah, it's it's a comedy. Um that's the other thing I think, you know, if you're not... That was the thing. When I saw this in theaters, I one of the weirdest things to me about it was... It was like the silence in the theater was, like, hostile <laughs> for, like, the first 30 minutes. Oh, God, that's awful. And then... But, like, even I wasn't, like, laughing. Like, I was kind of like, this is strange. <laughs> And I'm someone coming in having read the comic. And it's like, this is moving super fast. This is weird. Like, I like the jokes, like, are going by so quickly. Like, I, they don't really have time to land. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but then, like, right around the time of the first fight, which is 30 minutes in, which is insane for a movie that's less than two hours long, <laughs> <laughs> that we suddenly just jump into that gear. <laughs> uh... Like, the whole vibe in the theater changed. And, like, by the end of it, everyone came out of it. Like, everyone that saw that movie that night, it was, like, their favorite movie. And I I, I have not had a theater experience like that before or since. <laughs> and there's something about it where it's just, like, you kind of just... I think you just give in to what it's doing. <laughs> Like, well, you either give in or you outright reject it. Yeah. <laughs> and you never look back. And I guess that's the thing. If, like, you're not into it by the time of the first fight, just stop watching the movie. Like, that's... That's, that's probably the best advice yeah. regarding Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's good. That's a good point. Um, the first fight... Uh, I mean, the action in this film, just in general, is kind of, like, unbelievable. Yeah. And, like, really entertaining. It's this mix of obviously like physical and, and digital effects, uh, but the the stitching of the two together just makes it like unbelievably good eye candy, <laughs> and unfortunately puts a lot of stuff that would come after in the following decade to shame. You know, like yeah. I just saw another tweet recently about how like uh, the first Kung Fu Panda has like this amazing action sequence on a bridge, and I'm like, yeah, that is like really good. The action in those movies is really good. Mm-hmm. What? What happened? We didn't. We didn't evolve past that. Well, because yeah, I think you, you really need pre-production to like make good action scenes, which I don't mm-hmm. think people realize. Which is why, and this is another time I'll bring up the Marvel stuff. I stand by most of the first Ant-Man because a lot of those action sequences were boarded by the one and only Edgar Wright, and I think the action in that film mostly holds up. If, like, you, to take uh, a phrase from you, if it still has um, the edges kind of sanded off. Okay, terrorist. Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, look, Ant-Man... I, I'll say this about Ant-Man's action. 
Um, there's a lot of very good ideas for action scenes in Ant-Man. That was a movie where you could tell it was written by Edgar Wright and not directed by him. <laughs> you know? Like, it's almost a case study. It's like you can watch, uh, what was that movie? The Gambit remake that the Coen brothers wrote but didn't direct. Like, you can watch that movie and learn, like, what the Coen brothers are bringing to the table. Because <laughs> Ant-Man is, honestly, there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on in the story that you can tell was, like, script stuff. And then at some point, I don't know what the fuck happened there, you know? Like... Was it like? Was it really like they just said you got to put Falcon in it? Like I don't, I don't think it was that simple. I mean, like if you, I don't know if you remember, but like James Gunn, it was an interview or a tweet he made mm-hmm. where like he was saying that he kind of saw the relationship falling apart between two people he cared deeply about, yeah, and that he knew it wasn't gonna work, and he thinks that both parties are are happy or separate, yeah. So, I, I, maybe it was just like a, you know, a snowball of events. This is slowly built up and built up. Because uh, Edgar Wright was on Ant-Man for like almost a decade. He was writing Ant-Man before Scott Pilgrim. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, he took like a break to make Scott Pilgrim. And that's what kind of kept happening is that like he kept taking breaks. And like to be fair to Marvel, like they were kind of like, alright, cool. Because I think Ant-Man was kind of supposed to be part of like the original roster of... Avengers characters mm-hmm. and I think maybe that would have worked a little better because um, isn't like doesn't didn't uh, Hank Pym make Ultron in the comics yeah Hank, yeah Hank Pym is Ultron's daddy and now in the movies it's Tony Stark yeah you know whatever but uh yeah yeah it's not a criticism for yeah me. but I'm like it's saying like different. you can maybe see that like that was the original plan at some point and then like they kept changing it and I don't know what the fuck I, it's just so weird to me I, I don't understand. It, it is very weird, and now they're just at a certain point where you have to color within the lines. Yeah. You know? And I think by the time he was ready to make Ant-Man, that, you know, they, they weren't willing to work with that. I read somewhere... <laughs> he he's, didn't want to work with that, I mean. Or, he gave or whatever, an whoever. where, like, Marvel was like, we're going to rewrite the script, but without your input. And not a writer of your choice. I think that was, like, the, the breaking point. Mm-hmm. Or at least led to the breaking point. And I just, you know, I'm not, like, I'm not even trying to be, like, let directors do whatever they want, which I, like, don't agree with. But it's that thing of, like, where, when did the conversation that should have happened at the start not happen? Mm-hmm. And like, Well, he but, co-wrote it with uh, Joe Cornish, who yes. was going to do Attack the Block, which is, like, mm-hmm. one of the best movies ever made. Like, without hyperbole, that's... That's an unbelievably good film. Did they think they could, like, pass over Edgar Wright and then go to Joe Cornish? Maybe. I, like, I know, because Joe Cornish was in talk to do, like, a bunch of different blockbusters after uh, after his collaborations with, with Edgar Wright and, mm-hmm. and uh, Attack the Block. He was in talk to do Star Trek Beyond before it was Star Trek Beyond, mm-hmm. you know? And then he passed on it, and we got the great Justin Lin version. And, like, I'm fine with that. Yeah, you yeah. know, I love that movie. So it I seemed to happen with both him and Edgar Wright. Where, like, they were in talks for, like, a lot of things for a while. Uh-huh. And then it just, like, ended. Yeah. And, and then I, Joe Corn is still kind of struggling to find his next stuff. I like the kid who would be king yeah. a lot. Um, I, I think he's... There's a reason he's going back to do an Attack the Block sequel with John Boyega, and I hope it works. 
I have faith in them, but I, it, you know, when you're making a sequel to a movie like that, you're like, please, please work. Well, that was another thing where, like, John Boyega and that was like, he's the next star. And then, like, it took years. It took fucking Star Wars yeah, for and that it, to yeah, happen. It took literally get him getting in the biggest franchise of all time. And then even then, it's like he hasn't really blown up in the way you thought he would. Yeah, I don't even know if we really need to go into that much detail. I think the um, main thing to just point out is that, like, this movie's aware that Scott Pilgrim sucks. Like, which I think is the sticking point with some people. Mm-hmm. And we see him basically do horrible things <laughs> that, like, aren't criminal things, but just, like, bad things to do to someone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's 22, he's got to go through it, he's growing, and I think some people maybe forget that sometimes, or some people haven't, like, had a growing experience where, like, you know, you're going to be the asshole at some point, and you're not going to want to be, you know? And you, you go through that, and you go, like, I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> and there's other, you know, you, you got to, people go through that. It's It sucks, it's awful, <laughs> but it happens. As long as you grow from it, and Scott's, like, failing to grow. <laughs> I think that's why I have such a like a fondness for this film because it's taking like a, a very authentic like character struggle. Yeah. But it like coats it in like this great blockbuster like pop aesthetic that's very fun, but if you're really watching the film, you're right, it doesn't let him off the hook. He's not like a great guy, he's just the protagonist. There's a difference there. Well, that's and I the... think a lot of American media right now specifically if anything, the, the reception of Scott Pilgrim versus the world has arguably gotten worse from its detractors mm-hmm. because, of like, we, we don't see a lot of, like, fallible characters anymore. Yeah. You know, like, uh, Chris Evans, who who is fantastic in this. Oh, oh yeah. my God. Might be my favorite of the evil exes, in my opinion. Like, he just kills it. I, I, I don't know if I could choose, but he's so good. Um, mm. But, you know, as Captain America, he... I remember before Civil War came out, like right after Winter Soldier, he said he would love to do a Captain America film where he was in the wrong and he made a mistake and they could explore that, you know? And like that just never, that that never really happened. Um, And like, you know, that was like, he was like one of the faces of the Avengers films. And they they don't get to be wrong in those movies because they're the heroes. Yeah. You know, that's not even any criticism against any of that. It's just. Or if they're wrong, it's immediately solved. It's one of those things where, like, I could go through so many fucking movies, but the the fact that, like, they couldn't even end Civil War on, like, an ambiguous note. You could totally just end it with, like, Tony doesn't know if he did what was right and what was wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, there's no argument where it's, like, both guys are kind of in the right. And, like, I think you can make that work. I'm not sure that movie does, but I think you can <laughs> make that work. But to, then at the end, like, cl- like everyone's got a clean conscience by the end. Like, that's t- Like, don't do that. It's supposed to, like, you only get into a civil war because of it's not clear-cut, you know? <laughs> yeah. Ugh. That one, that's, that, that, and the Marvel thing, they keep doing that with their endings, where it's like, you think they're going to end on, like, a more poignant note, and then at the last minute, like, someone comes in and gives, like, a speech that, like, puts a bow on it. Even Winter Soldier does that. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I just, I, I, that's what I really hate. And I think that's the thing is that you don't want like this movie very much ends where it's like you don't know if Scott and Ramona are gonna be together forever, you know? Yeah. It's very much I, asking I, you, do you want this to continue? Mm-hmm. You know, like they literally, the continue counter shows up. 
And like, I think people would riot <laughs> if you did that today. <laughs> or be like, no, Scott Pilgrim should burn in hell. <laughs> it's like, good lord. We just can't we can't handle that those sort of complications from our movies anymore. And it's not like Scott Pilgrim's a super complicated film. Yeah. I, I think we can. I, I think really it does come down to like Hollywood. Like I'm trying to get better about saying like, oh, oh like there's a problem with like modern movies. I definitely think it is like a Hollywood specific problem. Yeah, I, I think, think the issue yeah. is when your movie has to appeal to everyone, you can't alienate everyone. Mm-hmm. I mean anyone. And so like if you alienate even someone that's just a small fraction of the audience, that's money you're, that you're leaving on the table. And, you know, to, to go to another video game comparison, like the video game industry, how often is it like, well, our game's not political. Anyways, here's a game called Six Days in Fallujah. Yeah, well, that's just insane. Like, yeah, no, that's like an evil game, and those people should be in prison. But. Yeah, but no, it's just like, that's just how... Like, you can just say those things. Like, words mean nothing anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's just... You know? And, and uh... It, it's just like it, it's it's disgusting it, it, it is anti-culture it's anti-art like your art's gonna have a point of view and you're you're gonna probably upset some people and hopefully you're proud of what you've done you might even have no. points of view you don't even realize which happens yeah. a lot especially if you're a white filmmaker <laughs> yeah or like you know um nightmare on elm street 2 oh, you tell yeah. the director of that film hey I, I think you made a film about coming out and he'll be like, "What?" Yeah, everyone was like, "Huh?" Yeah, <laughs> that is just, that is just kind of hysterical. <laughs> happy Pride Month. <laughs> yeah, Happy Pride Month. Even though this is released in Pride Month. No, no. But to but, bring uh... up our our boy David Ayer. Um, <laughs> okay, sure. Didn't he like tweet something like a little while back where he's like, "I bet you think World War II was political." Whoa! <laughs> yeah, what? I think he said something like that. Oh wow! I've never hated him more. Yeah, you know. And that's the mentality in some people's because the word political means something different to people, you know? When mm-hmm. you accuse something of being political, you, uh, you're accusing it of having an agenda that is, a, that is like, manipulative, you know? Mm-hmm. Which is not what political means. <laughs> like, it can be that, but that's not what it means. But anyone that uses that word, that's what they mean. In a negative way, I mean. So, like, what David Ayer says, I bet you think World War II is political. What he's really saying is, I bet you think World War II isn't as black and white as I think it is. <laughs> Which, I mean, it isn't. But, <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, it drives me nuts. And I guess this weird thing where it's like we're on this hill to being like, let Scott Pilgrim be complicated. And it's like, Scott Pilgrim is not. Like, <laughs> it's really like, this should be like, the bare minimum. <laughs> I think it's explaining like complicated things for that character, but the film itself is is pretty straightforward. Like you know, the the baseline premise of it is, uh, I like this girl, and to date her, I have to defeat her seven evil exes. Like if you had a logline, that's it. That's yeah. right, right there. And then you watch the movie, and it it is more complicated than that because it's less about defeating her ex boyfriends to to win her than it is to uh, have a group of people dealing with their baggage that's what it is it's a group of people young people who have hurt each other deal with their emotional baggage and it ends on a note that hopefully is optimistic that hopefully allows them to move on into greener pastures maybe together maybe not but Mm -hmm. it's helped them through a process that they needed to to overcome 
you know? Yes. And that's... And I, I think, think it's a, that's a great message. I think you can see that where, like, Scott Pilgrim's this character that's, like, got, like, a bit of a... No, not trying to make a reference, but he's got some, like, arrested development, like, failure to launch going on with him. <laughs> and you can see, like, reflections of that in all the evil exes, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, Matthew Patel clearly never got over, like, sixth grade. <laughs> like Yeah, yeah. And there are dudes like that, which is unfortunate. Now, they don't shoot fire and come flying in through the ceiling with their demon hipster chicks, which I to- I can't believe I forgot that detail. Uh-huh. Um, but there are That's people That's very like 2010. That. Yeah. Um, I knew a guy who, who, whose style was pirate, though. I knew a guy in hmm. high school and middle school. <laughs> that was... Shout out to Nick DeCorus, wherever the fuck you are, you maniac. <laughs> He's got to be out there somewhere. <laughs> He's out there waiting. He used to call me Matt Mohawk. Did you ever? Have I a never mohawk? had a mohawk. Why would he say that? I don't know. <laughs> I never figured this guy out. <laughs> I gotta say, shout out to Crash and the Boys who die. <laughs> they don't die in the comic, by the way. Oh no! No, they they changed the name to the Boys and Crash. Oh. <laughs> Which is pretty funny, honestly. A little bit of casual, uh, a little bit of casual uh, transphobia in this movie that you maybe wouldn't pick up on <laughs> um, at the time. Uh, a couple jokes here and there. I don't think we need. Yeah, to go not anywhere. not everything ages very well, or or it was noticeable at the time, you know. I will say the sad thing about the first fight is that like Scott still hasn't broken up with knives. Yeah, I mean that. That's when, like, if you didn't realize like how scummy he was before, like you definitely know by then. Uh-huh. And I think there's this weird. I know we just talked about the ending a little bit too, and it's like you think we're gonna wrap up, but surprise, we're not. We're not um, at all. <laughs> there's this thing specifically in like American media where, you know, there's the will they, won't they. Um, I've talked about it before. Like, I love the American Office, but you know, it's a nine season show about working in a job that everyone is miserable at it's it's like accidentally very cynical yeah <laughs> and it doesn't really realize it. and then it has a very sweet ending about moving on and like okay you met these people in your lives but your lives go on without them and that's okay and it's like wow wouldn't this have been great like five seasons beforehand <laughs> yeah i think uh i think the like that terrible ending like aside i think that's why the office kind of aged better than like parks and recs you know like maybe yeah. but like i i think we I all relate feel, but like i i definitely like parks and rec more even with those issues you know i like parks and recs more at the time but i'm also like i will not revisit it anytime soon because i feel like it's gonna be like really hard <laughs> like yeah, it's gonna yeah. be well awful. the joe biden cameo just like lingering in the distance Motherfuck that there's a john mccain cameo in oh it. that's right oh my god yeah uh, um, but, but the point i wanted to make specifically was about like the relationship stuff and i think so much of like romantic uh media uh, in the last two decades is about like complicated relationships that are like kind of laughed off because it, they are funny when you watch them but i think a lot of people might have taken the wrong lessons from them yeah just because you like someone who's in a relationship doesn't mean that you get to win them over at some point yeah you, you, you probably just don't fit into the picture and that's okay, <laughs> you know? You have other stuff going on. Yeah. Or, like, you know, I, I 
I, I think it's just it gets very weird. A lot of NBC comedies specifically kind of yes. play around with that, looking well, back that at it. That was the formula forever, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's hard to break those formulas, especially yeah. when they make people money. All right, Lucas Lee. Yeah, th- this is this this is the winner. You you might be right. He, he might be the best one. I He's just, up there. He, I, I don't think there's an evil ex that, like, literally everything they do makes me laugh. <laughs> That's actually hilarious. That's actually hilarious. Yeah, that, that is... <laughs> That was, this is that weird era where Chris Evans, because like, like Edgar Wright gave interviews, like I was trying to cast superheroes as the evil exes. Like that was his <laughs> thing. And I think this was like, he got cast as Captain America like right after they filmed it. But this was when he was just Johnny Storm in that Fantastic Four movie. And we forget that he was in this weird like funk of doing romantic comedies. <laughs> and he was honestly, he, he, he's a funny guy. <laughs> He is. He, Chris Evans is like a great actor, I think. Yeah. He was also in Danny Boyle's Sunshine, which I really oh, yeah, love. Yeah, uh, yeah. And he, that's the first time I saw him outside of Fantastic Four. And I was like, whoa, this dude's like really good. Mm. So when he got cast as Captain America, I was like, oh shit. Like, I, I think he's going to blow up. And I was fucking right. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, he, he's hysterical. And I'd love to see him do more, more comedy stuff. And. I know he wants to. He wants to do more directing right now too. Hey, I don't know about that, but um, yeah, you, uh, you never know. Clearly, you weren't introduced to him in the hit comedy, not another teen movie. No, Remember I was that? not. I missed the boat on Remember not another one? teen movie. But yeah, he's got this weird fucking career, um, where it's just like, he did like all these weird comedies. Where like he almost was starting to turn into a guy where. You would go see the romantic comedy, and he would give the performance that was, like, in on the fact that it was a bad movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he kind of started getting pop but then he's, like, Captain America, and suddenly he's, like, the most wholesome guy of the Avengers. Which is not the vibe he gives in, like, any of his other films. No, no. Um, which is kind of incredible. Um, and here's Lucas Lee, he's playing, like, the biggest douchebag on the planet. <laughs> yeah, he plays a fantastic douchebag, and this is the apex of that, yeah. for sure. Well, it's also like a guy again, like you know, it was high school, and he never got over it, and he just he rode that to fame and stardom. And how many people in Hollywood are probably like that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I gotta love point that out the he movies. also has to fight his stunt doubles. Oh yeah, that's that's I never go anywhere without my stunt team. <laughs> um, but I gotta point out some of the other Lucas Lee films that we see posters for. <laughs> yes. Uh, I think my favorite one might be Action Doctor. Yeah, that was my favorite. <laughs> which is the good news. The slogan is the good news is you're gonna live. The bad news is he's about to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> this one is just like thrilled to be here. <laughs> <laughs> I missed that one. You just don't exist. Like holding a phone. <laughs> oh, he's got like a rom-com one. I don't remember what that one was. Uh, but I oh. love that those posters, like if you if you Google image search them, you're going to get actual posters from the mid-2000s that yes. look exactly like that. Let's That's hope, what makes it perfect. Here's like a Nicholas Sparks one called Let's Hope There's a Heaven. And the slogan is, Kiss Me, I'm Dying. <laughs> Uh, and he, look at the effort they put into this character who maybe has like five minutes of screen time. Yeah, like, it's so good. If that. And you know what? I think I think you're onto something with like 
how it's like how many Hollywood actors do we know like that probably fill a similar void to this, right? Yeah. And like, look at how much of like his his like mini universe in this film yes. revolves around like well, if you watch action hero fucking... stuff, death. Yeah. Everything's about death. <laughs> What's you, that about? If you watch this fucking movie. They put so much effort into, like, there's, like, you know, obvious ones are, like, the Clash of Demon Head, like, poster that's everywhere. But, like, they gave, like, put an effort into, like, all these people are real in this universe, and the universe revolves around these characters. Because, like, everywhere you look, not even drawing attention to it, like, any magazine they're reading, there's, like, a Lucas Lee article in it. He's, like, on newspapers. There's, like, stuff about Clash of Demon Head everywhere. There's all these hints about Gideon who's going to show up later. And that's, like, the Edgar Wright thing. I think people have, like, started to turn on. I think people, like, kind of hated it when he did it in uh, Baby Driver. Um, which, because Baby Driver's, like, the opposite of this, where, like, it's it's an action movie, but it's secretly, like, a romantic drama. Where, like, Baby Driver's kind of like, what if I stripped out everything except music and action together? <laughs> like... And like, also remade Thief. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, yeah, the Thief and the Driver. You know, mm-hmm. he was doing a few movies, and then it's like a fairy tale almost. And whereas, like, instead of this, is like the internal character stuff kind of exploding in like video game logic. Like, Baby Driver doesn't really take place on planet Earth. <laughs> whereas this, like, takes place on an Earth as interpreted by these characters. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, Lucas Lee's amazing. And I will say, like, one thing that sets the series, the comic series apart from the movies is all the evil exes kind of get more to them. Except Matthew Patel and Lucas Lee. They kind of have the, about the same amount of time. Mm. Scott has, like, a conversation with Lucas Lee in the one that is a bit longer. And then it's like, Scott knows he can't beat him, so he tricks him into doing the skateboard thing. Um, which kind of becomes a recurring thing with his character, which is not how he defeats the third evil X in the comic, but we'll get to that. <laughs> okay. The Kadianagi twins, they, they don't have a lot to do either. Yeah, in the movie, they got basically nothing, but they're bigger in the comic. Okay. okay. I think that's a thing, a weird comparison, but I think a problem this movie ran into was similar to the Game of Thrones problem, where uh, Brian Lee O'Malley was still writing Scott Pilgrim while the movie was coming out. And I think the final volume came out, like, the month the movie came out. And you can kind of tell that, like, the stuff that gets brought up and is dealt with in the final two volumes are the most truncated stuff Mm. in the movie. And that's probably my biggest problem with the movie. Um, But we'll get to that in a moment. We're, like, literally almost there. (laughs) Yeah. Envy Adams. Yeah. Brie Larson. Who, uh, the internet seems to hate. (laughs) For reasons uh, I don't understand. I don't know. Um, she, she's a woman who said that I believe in equal rights, and that means uh, yeah. that the men hate her. Oh, didn't she say best like male director or something like that at some award show? Was Probably. that her? Probably. Yeah. Maybe. I, yeah. I that was her like dunk. She she on. she's been open about like moving like advocating for like yeah. uh, more more equal like discussion boards and stuff like that. And she and, made and that movie spaces. that was terrible. <laughs> Uh, um, I liked Captain Marvel. No, no, Unicorn <laughs> Storm no. or something. Store. I saw oh, Unicorn it. Store? Yeah. I, oh, watched, I liked it. Yeah. I watched like half of it. So maybe it got oh. better. Maybe it got better. Yeah. But it was not my thing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I just feel like she's kind of ended up as like the face of white feminism in Hollywood. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. And that has a lot of good, a lot of bad with it. Mm-hmm. And also the target of just awful, awful people. Yeah. And to to her credit, I, I think, um, not that she has to address any of that, obviously, because mm-hmm. a, a lot of that is just, like, fucking bullshit YouTubers, mm-hmm. hate mongers. But, like, she, stepped a- she said she stepped away from a lot of roles and, like, you know, now she's on YouTube doing vlogs and stuff like that. And, like, we have our whole, you know, thing with uh, celebrities maybe occupying spaces yeah. that uh, they, they, you know, they, maybe they shouldn't. But she's been very open about saying that she's kind of been like recalibrating her career now she's in a position to like to really look at like what she wants to do and if she has something to say and who she wants to work with and i i think that we'll see how that pans out you know who maybe she's a horrible monster woman i don't know mm. but i when i heard that i just i thought that was very respectable yeah. you know yeah good for her because not everyone gets that opportunity she's good in this um i think envy adams is a little underwritten I do too. Um, and I think the comic, again, does a better job at portraying that Scott was the asshole in that relationship. Whereas mm-hmm. here it has more of a, they were both assholes. Which is also in the comic a little bit, but, like, it's less here, I guess. Yeah, because, like, I'm fine with that, and I do think the movie's going for that. Mm-hmm. I think the, the final scene between both of them is what, like, kind of saves it for yeah. me. Because otherwise it does feel um, not just underwritten, but, like almost a little cheap you know like oh maybe scott's like this because he was hurt and it's like no 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 no, no that's not mm-hmm. you're doing good don't don't go there yeah <laughs> you know like you can have that be a she, factor in things but it can't be the thing she has a bigger role in uh the final scott pilgrim comic okay um, where she she comes back and is the performance at gideon graves club hmm. and she's got like a weird dynamic with him I mean, Gideon Graves is straight up just an abusive abuser. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In both versions. He's almost more cynical in the comic. Really? I mean, he's he's more, awful. More sinister, yeah. I guess here he just straight up kick Mary Elizabeth Winstead, which is pretty uh, fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Um, we got to talk about, before we get to him, we got to talk about uh, Brandon Routh as uh, Todd yeah. Ingram. Yeah! Um, here's a guy. Superman, fantastic on uh, the CW shows as the Atom. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he like steals every show he, he wound up on because yeah, he was, he was he on like good. several of them. Yeah. Um, yeah, kind of went the opposite direction as, uh, what's his face? Chris Evans. Mm-hmm. Cause, um, I mean, he was, it was that thing where like, it was like, he was kind of an unknown that got cast in Superman Returns. And then they basically blame the failure of that movie on him. <laughs> wow. Like, do they really like? I didn't. I didn't really look. That into was like that, the vibe sucks. at the time. Like that was the energy that was kind of around. That was like he's a bad Superman, and whoever was Lois Lane, they were also like she's terrible. And it was. Uh, like... yeah. Not that Brian Singer can't direct, but yeah, it's uh, that, that's. I know that, that's like the least of his problems. But that I movie's mean... got a whole lot going on. But <laughs> uh, yeah, he had a weird kind of arc to his career and now he's like seems to have like mellowed out this was like a weird moment where it was like oh yeah he played superman <laughs> and also they were still talking about the the sequel to superman returns that just never ended up happening that just morphed into the Zack snyder man of steel mm-hmm. um but 
Yeah, remember like fucking uh, Ted? You remember the movie Ted? Unfortunately, the, yeah. Do you remember the end credits? Like, they there's like an overly long joke in the end credits just saying that he sucked. I don't remember that. What the fuck? I forget what the joke is, but it's like someone is like washed up and now they're rooming with Brandon Routh. And then it's like, remember Brandon Routh? He was Superman. He fucking sucked. Like, that's fuck the that joke. movie. Yeah, that's 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 a weird joke. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I hope he's doing better now. Like personally, you know. Yeah, yeah. Because um, it, it must suck. Too. It must suck to be like, "Don't worry, man. You're gonna do another Superman movie any day now." And then they just don't. And you know, like you're talking about the response that the horrible film Ted gave to to, to him and his performance, right? And you know, spaced Edgar Wright, the the way they talk about the Star Wars prequels, like Simon Pegg, like that. Mm. That did kind of kickstart that a little bit too. That yeah. that like open hostility. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. You know? At least we're supposed to be laughing at um, fucking Simon Pegg most of the time on Spaced. Most, most, and yeah. you know we've talked about it, but like uh, Edgar Wright, I think does genuinely have like some blind spots with when it comes to um, what characters are like guilty of and like what they get away with. Sometimes, you know? Yeah. And I know that's a big point of contention over the ending of Baby Driver, for yeah. example. You know? I got... I, I, I could go on a whole Baby Driver thing, but... No, no. Um, yeah. But best, we don't need to do not. that. I just say I think it's good that an original film made that much money. I do, too. Especially I'm, I'm, after I'm coming off... Fan. After getting fired from Ant-Man and then, uh, like, having two not hits in a row. Mm-hmm. And I like that Edgar Wright's voice is out there in the universe of film. And I think we should all be a little happy about it. Yeah. It's like I kind of have to, as much as I dunk on him, I kind of have to like that Zack Snyder is out there. Because at least he's doing his thing. (laughs) Yeah. Even Michael Bay to an extent, you know? No, uh, Todd Ingram, and he's kind of like an elitist type boyfriend. And he's vegan. He's vegan. Um... Which I remember this getting latched onto with people who just, like, hate vegetarians. Yeah, that was a thing for a while. It still is a thing. And it's coming back big. The meat really? movement I have, is about... Oh, I haven't noticed it. There's I've a been new blessed. movement online that's, like, only eat meat. And, like, well, it's don't, all, don't do that. <laughs> it's all the other foods that are secretly bad. And no! it's all coded shit to be, like, you're less of a man if you don't eat meat. That this is what cavemen used to eat. And yeah, it's stupid, and it's a totally a reaction to the fact that uh, there's definitely going to be legislation in the next few decades about cutting back on meat production because it's unsustainable and it uses up so much valuable farmland. Hmm. And we're going to have to start being smart about our resources, and it's the beginning of cancel culture is coming for our meat, <laughs> which is 100% what's going to happen. I completely believe that, yeah. It's 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 exactly, it's like, and it's going to be like, they're secretly going to force them all the men. Like, it's going to be shit like that. <laughs> this is what they took from you. Yeah, it's it's where we're going. It's like, it's, it. I hate that I can see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so filled. The worst thing about the Trump years for me was, you know how Facebook has that, like, look back feature? Like, where you can look at, like, what you posted on that day X yes. number of years ago. 
and it was all the stuff I was posting, but like as the build up to Trump was happening and how all of it came true. <laughs> and it's like, oh no. See you guys, you didn't listen to me. <laughs> I said there was gonna be trouble, but you didn't listen. Hmm. Um, Brandon Ralph's great. Yeah, he, he's fantastic. His fight's tons of fun. I love the visual of like the base, the base off. Yeah, and I they did they, there was a lot of effort to make. Uh, God, oh, he fucking punches knives. That's nuts. Oh yeah, you know uh, he's he's awful. Like I know what we're saying like uh, fucking Gideon is like just disgusting. This dude's not much better. Which I also believe is in the comic, and I this whole storyline had a lot more going on to it because it's because it's more about envy and Scott in the comic, mm. and there's a lot going on where Todd is actually cheating on envy. And, like, she finds out about that right before everything goes down. And that's part of the, the fucking vegan shit, which we'll get to in a moment. <sighs> um, also, he punched a hole in the moon for uh, Ramona, but he also punched a hole in the moon for Envy, and Envy realizes that he did it once before and he was lying about the first time. And that's how she starts to put together that he was seeing, I think, I haven't read the comic in years, <laughs> so don't totally quote me on it. Um, what has about the same amount of setup in the comic and in this movie are the vegan police, which even for this movie <laughs> is nuts. That might be like my favorite like gag in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though we were talking about how like the anti like health like oh cancel culture is coming yeah. for manliness shit like well, it's it this works is just hysterical on both levels of like this is what people who aren't vegan think vegans are like <laughs> <laughs> i mean they literally like explode through the wall and uh, thomas jane perfect casting <laughs> like yeah it's fucking amazing um well, also uh my fucking boy clifton collins jr mm-hmm. you will recognize him from such classics as the Crank films. Yes. He's popped up in a lot of shit. Thomas Jane. No, no, that, not, that's, I'm not joking. I love him. He's I know, no, I, no yeah. I, I wasn't joking either. Yeah. When I say shit, I just mean like movies. Yeah. Thomas Jane's had a weird career. Oh my god, yeah. Thomas Jane, please fix your Wikipedia picture. Wait, what is it? Let me see. It just doesn't look very Oh good. boy. <laughs> it's not very flattering. Looks like a one of those big head cartoons. Yeah, it looks like someone stretched Thomas Jane. <laughs> Wasn't, no, he on, a, wasn't he in Money Plane? Was he? Oh, no. Thomas Jane. Money Plane inexplicably has a lot of people in it. It's probably a like a blackmailing thing. It's a it's a Ponzi scheme. Yeah, it might be. It's one um, of those movies where rich people use it to hide their money. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, I, I love Thomas Jane. Check out our Deep Blue Sea episode and our episode on Shane Black's Predator. Released the, the Shane Black cut, like, legit. Yeah, motherfuckers. It's apparently finished. Yeah, just do that's, it, Because that's why they decided to reshoot it. Cowards. Fucking. That's one of those what? ones you could actually do, too, so. Yeah, I know, I know. And it doesn't have the stupid-ass ending that was tacked on by not anybody associated with the directing or the writing or the producing of the film. So. I gotta be honest, I didn't, I've seen Shane Black in interviews about that movie, I did not expect Shane Black to be the type of guy who was like 
diplomatic about that kind of shit. <laughs> I didn't either. I bet 20 years ago that Shane Black would not have been. Yeah. But I think he learned how to play the game when he came back on his hands and knees mm-hmm. to Joel Silver. Yeah, the, the, the Shane that's, Black. That's me paraphrasing him. He yeah. said that. Yeah. yeah, the Shane Black that basically got his ass kicked by Hollywood. <laughs> mm-hmm. But... Uh. Um, good scene. Also, I like the touch that green is what weakens uh, Todd, which is kind of a Superman reference. Oh, yeah, yeah, huh? Oh, wow, I'm so fucking stupid. I never caught that. I mean, you could totally... I think it also works as vegan. You know, you think green. Like, mm-hmm. But I think there was there's an effort to do the Superman reference. Um, tell that to the cleaning lady on Monday. <laughs> which is... <laughs> There are jokes in this movie where it feels like, you know, you write them and they're funny. And then you have to, like, I have to imagine, like, being on set and, like, having to explain what the joke is. <laughs> like, imagine going to Thomas Jane and we like, we want you to explain, we want you to play the vegan police. And he's like, what's that? And, like, you have to explain the whole movie <laughs> to explain what the vegan police are. Oh, f- first he was a vegan. <laughs> and now he will be gone. <laughs> As Scott headbutts him after he's had his vegan powers revoked yeah. by the vegan police. Who then promptly, the vegan police, slow motion run, high five, and head back into yeah. their, their vegan <laughs> space. That's great. Yeah, that's... Wow. And that that's not the best scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. It speaks volumes about how good the rest of it is. Yes. <laughs> I think it's one of those things where it's like, if the movie crashed and burned after this... I would still like it, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it had those scenes. It had every scene up to that point. And that's... that. You can't ignore that. Mm-hmm. Right, who do we fight next? Mae Whitman, Katara herself. Oh, wait, she's a white woman? <laughs> you didn't know that? No, 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 I'm just kidding, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. all right. No, um... Love that avatar. Hey, what are you going to do? Maybe cast some voice actors of color next time. Yeah, Literally you, all I ask. Yeah, it's, the, like, the lowest bar. <laughs> mm-hmm. You can do it. Can, I believe in y'all. We know you're out there, guys. We know you're listening to us specifically. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah, Roxanne, Roxy Richter. Roxy Richter. Um, another character that gets more in the comic. Um, this is where you start getting to the point where it's like you kind of have to truncate a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like the X's end up being like the whole arcs of the comics at this point. And also there's a subplot at that point in the comic about uh, Knives's father is trying to kill scott whoa because they because he thinks they're dating still and so it's like how dare you date my teenage daughter (laughs) um so scott's dealing with roxy and um knives father and this is also when knives uh we we had her she dyed her hair half blue Mm -hmm. which is also pretty funny yeah Um, uh, he punched the highlights out of her hair yeah it's weird that that's a joke like it's a funny joke but it's a weird one yeah um I I agree because it it is something that's like referenced a lot, mm-hmm. and it's very funny. And it's like, yeah, what a great film. And it's like, whoa, wait. Because <laughs> I think at <laughs> that moment, it's a... one of those things where it's like he's not literally supposed to be punching her, but like in the logic of this film, he's punching her. You know, mm. like because you can't punch someone's highlights out of their hair. Yeah, <laughs> that I think that makes it more palatable, which is an odd thing to say about a man hitting a woman in the face. Yeah. Um. So moving on. <laughs> moving on. We're gonna get to the we're gonna get to the ex that Scott fights that's a woman. <laughs> um, I remember that In being all fairness. a thing where like that's a big thing I've heard from other bi people. Bi furious. I know that became very popular. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Although, I feel like now this would be one where it's like you would like get destroyed for this character because it like Ramona's like it was just a phase. It was like trying to downplay her bi-ness, you know? Yeah. Which people tend to have a problem with. But, you know, people do have phases. I say that as a bi-man, you know? Mm-hmm. It happens to people. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. She wasn't more in the comic. It was also, She wasn't defeated in the same way, which I think bugs some people. Mm. Like, that was in the comic, but it was more just a way to incapacitate her. Um, but the hammer fight is in the comic. Well, I like that Ramona just gets to be in on the action, like, on, like, a base level of movie watching. Yeah. It's kind of fun. And, they, I mean, by this point, they're completely leaning into, like, the ridiculousness of, like, video game logic. And it's like, oh, here's a giant hammer. Uh-huh. And that's <laughs> the thing where it's, purse. like, they drop the ball a little bit with the symbolism from the comic. It's, like, she, like, that's her bag. It's, like, literally her baggage. Like, so at one point in the comic, like, the bag explodes. And, like, all the shit comes out. Oh. Yeah. It's like that would have. I don't know where you fit that in here, but that would have been kind of neat. Yeah, well, it, it was part of the climax of the series, so it, like it was one of the things that wasn't out there yet when they were making gotcha. it. Gotcha. Hey, well, it's great. <laughs> Again, I'm, I'm kind of just gonna say that like everyone in this is great. What has she done lately? Well, crickets. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, not a lot of movie stuff. Uh, yeah. She's in the English dub of The Wind Rises, which I know we're both a fan of. Not the English uh, dub of The Wind Rises. Well, the, 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 movie, the movie. Yeah, yeah, we like The Wind Rises, but it sounded like you were saying we're both a fan oh, of no, no, the no, English I apologize, dub I apologize. of The Wind yeah, Rises. No, no, no. Although Herzog is in it, so. Um. Oh, she's in Invincible, hey. which I haven't seen yet. Yeah, everyone's telling me to in, watch it. And... She's in Invincible. Here, she's doing a lot of TV work then. Invincible, The Owl House, Good Girls. Oh, yeah, I've heard stuff about Owl House. Yeah, I know it's it's big on online with the the animation nerds, and I respect that because we just we're doing a an Avatar podcast, so yeah. <laughs> obviously I respect it. Um, oh, and she was April O'Neil in a, one of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle series. It lasts hey. like five years. Wow, we're still good on you. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, and she was Lyudmila Pavlichenko in Drunk History. Oh my god, I forgot Russian about sniper. that. You yeah. know? Oh my god. Um, I, did, I saw that one that happened, yeah. Okay, I didn't see that, but I didn't know that, and that's incredible. Uh, I don't have time to explain why that woman was incredible, mm-hmm. <laughs> but but that's a very fascinating part of history. So, well, yeah, Mae Whitman rules, and uh, how, how does she, she get defeated in the, in the comic? I, I think they just kind of have a regular duel. Mm. Um, it's one of those things, I, they kind of have like a Mexican standoff between, it's a little bit good, the bad, and the ugly, between Scott, Roxy, and uh, Knives' dad, and Scott wins. I don't remember it totally. Um, and this is the part where like you start, like, shit kind of starts piling up at this point, you know? Which I could see people be, having a complaint about that. I, I know a lot of people talk about this movie being exhausting, um, which it kind of is. <laughs> No, it's 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 a lot, you know, yeah. and I think it's it's incredibly good at what it's doing, but it's also very good that it's under two hours. Yes, because <laughs> I think if this is two and a half hours, it's like please fucking end, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I was actually I was shocked to see that it was under two hours. Like I, in my memory, it's a longer movie. Yeah, I I remember it being like a solid two hours specifically, but yeah, it is not. 
Um, and I also completely understand uh, truncating the the X stuff in the back half of the film to really focus more on Scott, Ramona. Yeah, you want them to be the focus. Yeah. That um, being said, it is a bummer that it is the uh, the Asian characters. Yes. Who who, who get nothing in this, <laughs> apart from from Knives Chow, but like specifically, like I mentioned. The Karyanagi twins. Which, I, if I remember correctly, like, Edgar Wright just found, like, like did, like, a show in Japan that those guys were on, and then just cast them. Okay, but see, that rules. Yeah, like, he just did <laughs> like, some interview show, and he was like, oh, hey, <laughs> they're, they're twins, and then he cast them. Alright, see, like, that's fun, you and know? I, just, I think, I really like the amp battle in this. Um, that's just, I it's, do, too. It's just so fun, but it's like, yeah, in the comics, they're, like, sending robots after Scott and shit. Oh, like there's a lot going on, and that's a the final two volumes of Scott Pilgrim. I guess I can talk about that now. Is really where the story just goes in a completely different direction than the movie, and it hits some of the same beats, but it it a lot of different ones, and it gets a lot darker. <laughs> hmm. Um, it's more about like the friendship groups kind of start breaking up. Kim Pine like moves home. Oh. Afterwards, it's so like the band dissolves. Scott and uh, Wallace get kicked out of their apartment. Um, which, uh, that's another thing where Scott's literally living across the street from his home where he grew mm-hmm. up. Um, and there's like a little bit of reference to this where Wallace says like he's going to force Scott to move out. But uh, in this, in that version, it's just like they're literally like just so broke they have to move. <laughs> and I think they end up moving... Maybe into Ramona's old place or something. Something with Ramona. Oh, Ramona's cat gets left behind and Scott loses it. And Ramona doesn't leave and, like, say, like, with Gideon. She, like, literally disappears in front of Scott's eyes. Oh. <laughs> um, and it's a weird, like, that's, like, a dark chapter in the story a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, like, at the end of that one is when Scott's kind of, like, he's, he doesn't choose to grow up but he's forced to at that point basically he has to get a real job he has to start taking some real responsibility and he does a, a little bit of the bare minimum but it's a little sad mm-hmm. and that's the kind of stuff that gets lost uh, in the movie um, where he goes to the breakup but it's kind of just more of a movie breakup Yeah, where it's like you can tell she's being forced into it we, do, we meet Gideon after the fight which is more of just I don't know what it's not really a fight it's more of a I mean, battling. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's uh, interesting. They get attacked by twin dragons. Get it? I don't know, double dragon. Fuck! I fucked yeah. it up. Thank God we're not the type of people going through every video game reference in this, though. <laughs> no. Because uh, one, I don't care. But two, I also just wouldn't know. Mm. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm sure there's some I catch. You I mean, at least get sex bob-omb. Yes, yeah, sex right. bob-omb's from... Mario. All right, that's all. That's all I care about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, the and we haven't really talked about it, but the music is actually like really fun in this yeah. movie. Who did and it? And finally available on Spotify after all these years. Yay! Yeah. Didn't Beck do it? Uh, Beck did some. Hang on, I got a little list actually because I I really love the music in this. I'm probably gonna be one of those people that you're like avoiding in the streets because I'll be listening to this. Yeah, like, well, it's, the thing it's like this is the movie that really puts it out there that like Edgar Wright's two things are music and action. Mm-hmm. Like he can do those two things very well. <laughs> mm. 
Fuck, I can't find it. It's, it's all right. Oh, it's not that important. <laughs> no, but it's so good. Let's just give all Beck right. all the credit. Beck. Oh, the soundtrack features contributions from Radiohead producers Nigel Godrick. Oh, then there's Beck. Uh, Metric. Broken Social Scene. Cornelius. Dan the Automator. Kid Koala. And even David Campbell. Now, do you know any of those people? I don't know a single one of those people. Okay, if you've listened to music in the last decade... Which I haven't. Or two, okay, well, for those that have listened to music in the last decade or two, you you know of their work, at least, like, in passing. Yeah. Or connections, uh, circles that they surround themselves with. They're, th- this is like... It's kind of like the Rosetta Stone mm-hmm. of the post-2000s the music The last right here. and most recent album I bought was Daft Punk's Random Access Memory. You mean their last album? Yeah. <laughs> I know. It still, it still hurts. Yeah, but... it hurts. Because it's like yeah. the one band I listen to. Yeah. It's now just Tom Waits. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, music rocks. And yeah, they fight the big old dragons. And there, there's a big old... What is that? Like a Yeti or something? That they use? I think it was meant to be like a gorilla. Mm. Kind of like a Kong a versus... Yeti. I think it looks cool. I think uh, Kong versus Godzilla vibes. Oh, yeah. That's what they were going for. I will say, not to lean too into it, but uh, praise on the music, praise and stuff. We talk about how the two Asian characters are kind of the ones that get, like, the most shafted in terms of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting musical choices around some of the Asian characters in this. Interesting, indeed. I heard a gong once, at least. Yeah. That, that, uh, not great. No, no. Gideon Graves. Jason Schwartzman. Yeah. A Coppola. Another guy who is kind of uh, not around as much these days. No, Uh, but, uh, you know, he'll be in Wes Anderson stuff until the day he dies. Yeah. I think I saw an interview with him where he said something like he was kept getting offered, like, kind of guys like Gideon, like, and he didn't want to play those roles (laughs) forever. Well, that's good. Yeah. Good for him. I understand that. Like you said, like, I don't want to be the guy who's, like, a tech guy behind the desk somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I can respect that. Yeah. You know, Patricia Arquette, she didn't come back for Dream Master after Dream Warriors because she was like, I don't want to be a Scream Queen. And yeah. That's, that's yeah, but Scream all Queen's be. cool. Yeah, Scream Queens are cool. And Dream Master is still basically a perfect film even without her. But, mm-hmm. you know, you do feel her presence missing. Yes. That has nothing to do with Scott Pilgrim. Nothing I just, at all. Rewatching those, I was like, fuck, these roll so hard. And, alright, I think I... The only points I really have to make here, other than I think Jason Schwartzman does a good job, and I like, you know, we're basically kind of just repeating the stuff where, like, the action's good and this blah, blah, blah. I think the ending might drop the ball a little bit. At okay. least in comparison to the comic. Now, I, I feel... The opposite. I think it's it's a great ending, but tell me the ending of the comic. Well, the comic puts much know. more effort into being like Gideon is like a reflection of Scott. That Gideon is what Scott could become in some way. And there's a, there's a lot of talking this about Scott could be an evil ex, right? Mm-hmm. But he's just the next evil ex waiting to happen, especially when he's being like a dick to Ramona, uh, which he is at a lot of times. <laughs> but like he's got a whole thing in it where like he mentions like he only... Uh, started the evil X group because he put a drunk ad he got drunk one night and put an ad on Craigslist looking for other evil X's and was like shocked that like Ramona had so many evil X's 
And he has this thing where he's like, how do I explain this without going too long? He's been capturing, like, any woman that's ever left him and, like, keeps him in, like, cryogenic sleep. (laughs) And that's what, like, decorates the club at the end of the story. And there's, like, one thing left for Ramona. And that's the other thing. Scott thinks uh, Ramona has left him for Gideon, and it turns out that that's not what happened at all. Like, Scott goes to face Gideon, and Gideon's like, Ramona's not here. <laughs> and it turns out she's, like, just gone to her parents to, like, kind of sort things out. Um, also, uh, something that is kind of just a weird plot element in the film actually gets explained. Um, you know, like, how Ramona uses, like, that weird subspace highway through people's brains? Yeah. To, like, get around? Um, Gideon in, is, is the, quote-unquote, inventor of that. Ah. And he uses that to get into people's heads to control them. Oh, that makes way more sense. And that's how Ramona got away, is that she turned it on him and used it to escape. But Gideon uses that to, like, watch what she's doing, like, at all times. And there's a part, like, where Scott has to go into Ramona's subconscious, and there's, like, a whole thing where Ramona really is the one who gets the stand-up to Gideon. And Scott more has, like, the self-realization... And Ramona kind of has the, no, like, because Gideon is straight up, like, an emotional abuser. And everything he does is, like, a metaphor for emotional abuse, right? Mm-hmm. Here he's, like, a physical abuser and, like, straight up just kicks her. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's, like, there's a good part in it where they go in, like, Ramona's subconscious. I'm, this is, like, years ago, so I'm, I'm probably getting details wrong. But, uh there's a part of Ramona that is like chained to like an evil version of Gideon and is like subservient to him. And it's like Ramona, like at some point realized like there's always going to be a part of me that can kind of fall under Gideon's abusive sway, you know, but there's all these other parts of her that won't. And those other parts kind of come out all at once and like help kick Gideon's ass. Um, I, I guess what I'm saying is, the final fight in the comic is more about Ramona and Scott, whereas the film, it's more about Scott. And I think it works for the film. Doesn't, it kind of leaves Ramona hanging a little bit. All right, all right. I, because I, I've definitely have been in the camp that I, I think it's, it's a pretty solid ending, if not a great ending, mm-hmm. at the very least. But I would like Ramona to have had a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and you know what I think might be going on here? Do you know what the original ending of this film was? Did they have to change it because of 9-11? No. <laughs> okay. The original ending was going to be Scott ends up with knives. I did hear about that. Yes. Um, I had to double check. Now, sticks a little closer to the comic. There's a, There was a couple changes. Knives eventually turns 18 in the comic. Ah. So, uh... But the comic does a very thing where, like, Scott, after Ramona disappears, is kind of, like, desperate to fall back on someone. And he does, like, show up to Knives now she's 18, and he kisses her, and it's awful. Like, they both realize it was a mistake the moment after it happened. And it, there's a, the comic even goes, like, this. it was horrible for everyone, and that includes you. <laughs> a little nuts that that yeah. was almost the ending of this film. And I can understand, like, if you watch this movie with that knowledge, it calls into question the whole fucking movie. Mm-hmm. Because, um, hell no. <laughs> like, 
No, no, no. And I guess, I don't know if it was filmed or if it was just the original plan. Uh, but at some point, there was, like, such a negative reaction to it that they didn't do it. Um, and I think Brian Lee O'Malley, like, that's why, like, that scene's even in the comic. He wanted to make it very clear that, like, no, they should not be together. <laughs> but, I mean, I, they must have bounced it off of him. Yeah. Like, he must have at yeah. least been toying with maybe Scott should end up with knives. And they props to them eventually figuring out that's not what should happen. Mm-hmm. But you can kind of feel like maybe that was where the movie was going to go. <laughs> uh, I, I know another popular take is that none of them should have ended up together. Mm-hmm. And maybe they all go their separate ways. And I, I probably could have rolled with that, honestly. I understand that take, but I also feel like that's more of a... I don't know, I'm not a fan of takes that are kind of like punishment endings. Well, you'd have to play that right. Because if, if you yeah. do play as like a punishment, like like unambiguously a punishment for everyone involved, yeah. That I think that would be the wrong way. Yeah, but I think I, I think it, it. You do like the uh, fucking the funny people ending where it's like, oh, they all go out to breakfast together. Or something. It's like, well, now they can talk about stuff. Whatever happens next happens. But then you do kind of get that ending with the Ramona and Scott ending too. So yeah, I guess I don't. Know. I, don't I just know. all those those type endings always feel Catholic to me. <laughs> Maybe that's why I like him because I was raised Catholic. Yeah, but like, uh, yeah. yeah, but aren't you like not Catholic anymore? Don't you hate Catholic shit when it pops up? <laughs> I, I'm uncomfortable with a lot of it. I, yeah. I mostly just have questions. I'm definitely more, like, agnostic. Don't you notice how many like movies, this. like, even that aren't really Catholic movies, still punish women for having sex? Like, yeah. it drives me fucking up the wall. But yeah. I like that it more ends with, which is, again, where the comic ends, where they kind of both, like, they've improved, they've changed, let's try again. It might not work, but it's worth trying. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, I like that. Maybe it doesn't too. totally work here, but uh, I don't know. I, I think it's fine. I, I could see someone having a problem with it, though. Again, like we said, uh, I see people having problems with this film and certain aspects of it. I, I, I still think it's great, and if you, you, you want to talk about it some more, I'm, I'm totally game, because who gives a shit? <laughs> you know? yeah, I, I think it's a good movie. Who and, cares uh, at the end of the day? Yeah, yeah, you know, whatever. We're all going to have different opinions I just, on shit. I just think that... People who are film nerds, you're not required to like anything, but uh, we should engage with movies a little deeper than we do sometimes, and I'm guilty yeah. of that as well. Yeah, um, happens to the best of us. I will say there's an entire section on the Wikipedia page called Analysis. It's a lot longer than I thought it was, and it said the film has been widely discussed as a transmedia narrative, which is something we didn't we didn't touch upon at all. <laughs> no. Which is just a reminder that we're both very unqualified to do this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Apologies to Roger Ebert's legacy. Yeah. I guess. Roger Ebert's I fucking rolling in his grave. <laughs> <laughs> Roger Ebert's um, co- coming to kick our fucking asses. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but on that note, so Matt, final thoughts. Good movie. Two, two thumbs d- up. Damn shame it bombed. It is. It really is. What did Ebert think of Scott Pilgrim? Let's see if that's out there. That's a good note to end on. Let me see. Doesn't look like there's a Ebert review. No. Um, huh. There's that. There was that period where he was, you know, when he was dealing with his illness, he didn't really review every movie. So mm-hmm. it looks like Scott Pilgrim just flew him by. Yeah, there's not. It's not on the Edgar Wright page. Hmm. He gave Tintin oh, wow. three and a half stars. 
Hey, there you go. There you, there you go. All right. Well, on that note, Matt, where can the people find you? I'm at EmperorOTN1 at Twitter.com. I'm also on Twitch, hopefully, by the time this is coming out. <laughs> and you can find me at the David Crespo. Check out the Waffle Press on Twitter, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and Patreon. And get early access to the rest of this retrospective, some other Legend of Korra stuff, as we, we were going we're gonna to be wrapping these up at the same time. So yeah, stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We have been professionally unprofessional. Don't put that in the fucking podcast.